Better than ever, ready to break down a really, really fun week nine. Um, I think it's probably the best week of football we've had so far in the NFL this year. Uh, oh, yeah. Had, top to bottom. Agreed. Um, we had the ultimate lock of the century in college football, uh, USC and Washington over, which I think hit in like the third quarter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Easy. What was it? Like 97 total? Yeah, point, and something the like over that. under was at 76 and a half. Um, and we told you to hammer it. <laughs> yeah, we, we were all yeah. on that boat. I will say, and I'm probably jinxing myself now, but I'm on the best gambling heater I've ever been in. I put Let's in. Go. Hey, I've, whoa. I, hey. And I'm not even like, again, my unit is like $5, but I put in a couple. Uh, I started over the last three weeks. I'm up like $250, basically just betting five $5 bets. The big Let's unit. Go. So pulled a, pulled a little of that money out, paid for my drinks on Sunday, and then won all of that money back and then some on the games on Sunday. So yeah, you made I, money watching the games. I did. I actually did. And, and, and going to a couple of bars and drinking. Uh, yeah, but we had a good weekend over here. One of my best friends from college came down, and uh, we were out in D.C., saw a concert. Had, the vibes were great. Great weekend of college football. Great weekend of NFL. The birds are 8-1. and one. Uh, the Broncos and Niners didn't play, so no losses, which is good for the for everyone. Yeah, so can't undefe- win if you don't play. That's read what option, they tell me. Read option was undefeated. JMU improves to nine and zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, life's good. gets back to covering. It's yeah, no. There you tell you what, man. Yeah, it's a it's a real shame about that postseason ban for you, bud. Because Air Force it lost is. this week, and now you would have been in the driver's seat. They would, uh, and it sucks too because the the they had a guy Jalen Green who's leading the uh, NCAA in sacks. He has 15 and a half sacks through nine games. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's been on on pace to break the single season record. He is out for the year with a knee injury. Uh, he's getting knee surgery, unfortunately. Um, in a weird, twisted way, it's because none of their stats count this year. So, like, he could have broke the record, but it wouldn't have been an official record, according to the NCAA, because the NCAA is fucking stupid. Um so, yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks for the kid. We just want to see him keep playing. He's a monster. But uh, everything's good. Vibes are good. JMU's undefeated. I've made the case it's better for recruiting for JMU for them to keep winning and not being postseason eligible. It's better for the Dukes. They're getting more national buzz. and Worked for Ohio State. Yeah. They're here. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, vibes are good right now. Vibes are good. Um, where do I you got want to something s- for you guys. Yeah, go Before ahead. Before we get going. Guys, I did, I did something this weekend. It was fucking nuts. Um, so Scotty, you're on Instagram. You saw it, Jeff. I don't think you did. So you yeah. didn't see this, but dude, I got to fly in a Russian military plane, like the two seater. I was goose dude, what? whipping around Ohio. This guy in, in Ohio a MIG. <laughs> shout out. It's literally the training plane before they send you to the MIGs in the, in the military in Russia. So like <laughs> all the knobs, everything, it's all Russian. It's crazy. It's for an air show here in America. And they sold it. And this guy I work with, he comes to my office Friday. He's like, Hey man, you serious about wanting to fly tomorrow? And I was like, Oh, if you're down to do it. Yeah. I'm in met at the hangar, dude, just locked in this thing. Surf. We flew around for a couple hours, touched down different airports, like just little ones around the area. We were doing banks. We pull like two and a half G's. 
It was nuts, Woof. dude. It dude, was so what? fun. I am hooked. I think I'm getting my pilot's license. I think I'm going to start oh, flying. God. I fly all, all, all over the time anyway. <laughs> you do. I can just fly myself. I was like, dude, you think my company would pay for plane get like gas instead of flights? <laughs> I think that, What's the mileage on jet fuel <laughs> compared to? Can you, can you write off a private jet that you fly? <laughs> well, okay. see, these a Russian Cessna? planes are like, dude. These things are like eighty k, and you get timeshares on them. Anyway, dude, I'm looking into it hard. Uh, but yeah, yeah, create flying around the Russian plane this weekend. I didn't have a flight. I wasn't going anywhere, so I figured I'd at least get one flight in. Getting Did your you control license? anything though? So I, they let me. He let me go for a little while, do a couple banks, and it's like the old school, just a single joystick. Very yeah. sensitive, very sensitive. Um, so cool. That thing that's, whips. that's awesome. Nuts, dude. Yeah. That's that's fucking nuts. I, never in a million years would I do. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I'm it's hand up, I'm like deathly afraid of heights myself. I'm fine in a plane, like a commercial plane, but if you put me in that situation that you were in, Vito, I would be out of there. It's the most veto thing of all time that he comes yeah, on. He's yeah. like, "Yeah, I just flew in a fighter jet, and now I'm going to decide to get my air my my pilot's license." <laughs> like, if I had a bingo card, like a veto bingo <laughs> card, that would have been one of the squares on it. Oh, of yeah. just things that will happen to Easy. Vito during his life. Getting pilot's license and flying in a in a, in a fighter jet uh, would have been on that. Um, wow, that's amazing, and what a way to start off the pod. Let's um. Let's dive into it here, boys. Uh, Sunday or Thursday night game. We uh, didn't get a chance to talk about it. Steelers, Titans. It felt like exactly what was going to happen. Like the Titans were going to keep it really close and make it really, you know, they looked like they were cover there for a while. And then somehow again, despite Matt Canada, um, though we'll say the offense looked a little bit better. Uh, they were able to run the ball a little bit in this Ozzie. game. That, had over a hundred yards on the ground. Jalen Jalen yeah. Warren had a great game. He did too. Um, but yet they still only scored twenty points. It's hard to predict at this point because the Steelers are sitting there at five and three. It feels like they'll they're probably going to make the playoffs. But is this just what this team is going to be? Because this is kind of coming into like what four or five straight years, like the last two years of Big Ben. Plus the this is now year three with Kenny Pickett. Um, or is this, no, this is year two with Kenny Pickett. So the last four years, um, is this just kind of where this team is? I, I, I have a hard time figuring out cause it's Mike Tom, it's Mike Tomlin. They're well coached. They play good defense. They win these close, ugly football games, but I just don't know if the ceiling is there for them, right? They don't have that explosive element. They can't really hang with the big boys, but they could also end up beating pretty much any team in the NFL any given Sunday. And I wouldn't be surprised. They're just a weird team. To your point, they're like in this realm of this amoeba until they figure out their identity, which is like they're just going back to their shell of like good defense, stealer ball, run it. But they haven't been able to run it well. And this offense ha- doesn't – let's say the offense doesn't have an identity. I don't know if the Titans are a team where you find your identity or not, right? Like I don't know what we think yeah. of them. Like this just seems like both these teams are, to your point, like they play old school football. This could have gone either way. We knew it was going to be close. Um that that's like that's what this game if you played this game 10 times i don't know if a t- either team would win by more than a touchdown any 10 of those times so that that's yeah. how i feel about this game like you can replay yeah. it a bunch i i think it's a close matchup but neither one of these teams i mean i like the titans and it, I, I bet i selected them at least in our picks because i i thought that 
Um, Will Levis will keep it going. Now he he had some moments, but he still looked pretty good. Like definitely a better quarterback than Tannehill gives you on the field right now, immediately. So well, like good for them. I think that's a credit to how well the Steelers secondary played because I, as predicted, I thought that they were the Titans were going to go out there and let Will sling and see what he's got um, after after a big week uh, a week ago, and, and they j- did they did just that. Derrick Henry wasn't getting much on the ground per carry uh, in the first couple of drives, so they let Will go and and the throws that were open last week to DeAndre Hopkins and and Westbrook Akine and others were not there because the Steelers secondary played so well. Jo- uh, Patrick Peterson had his best game as a Steeler. Uh, to be sure, and Joey Porter played absolutely lights out in one-on-one against D Hop. He was he, he had an unbelievable game um, in the secondary, and so when you mix that with how good the rest of the the Steelers' defense has been, they win the turnover battle one to nothing. But that's what they do; they create turnovers, and and that was the difference in the game. I think it, it's crazy because I know we've talked about this too. With like, there's a few guys out there who drastically t- tilt the field and what their team can do. Right. Like we've talked about with Miles Garrett, but also if Miles Garrett's out, that defense is still really, really good. Uh, we've talked yeah. about that with guys like Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill, who can single handedly tilt a field. I don't know if there's a player in the NFL who does that more than TJ Watt. The, the, I was just looking at a stat now. He's in his seventh season, he has 85 career sacks already through seven. Not yeah. even like a full seventh season. The only and he also has seven interceptions. The only guys to have ever done that through seven seasons are him and Lawrence Taylor. That's it. Really, the company. I say before thirty. Yeah, because I know there's like a huge stat about getting a hundred sacks before you're thirty. Like it, there's some crazy stats out there. But he's on pace to your point to break that, and like that puts this, him in the grace of like Von Miller and all those guys in recent history, like. Aaron Donald. Anyway, yeah, crazy. But but like, what's crazy is it's like he's also missed. Lo- I mean, he missed he's almost missed half the time. season last year. You yeah. know, like he T.J. Watt slants the field in a like he missed almost half the season last year and still was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> I just I and we can say because there's so many good elite pass rushers that we have in the NFL. We have more true game records than I feel like we've ever really had. You know, every, we've always had four or five. But like not every single team, but I feel like there's like a borderline elite defensive lineman on almost every team in the NFL. Like even the really bad teams, you're going like Carolina, they still have Brian Burns, right? Like you still like the Titans, like they don't have any amazing edge guys, but they have Jeffrey Simmons in the middle, who's an incredible mm-hmm. interior guy. So it's kind of like how we were with quarterbacks there for a few years, where it was like every team either had like a young upstart quarterback or had like a solid veteran or had one of the elite guys. It kind of feels like we're at that right now where it's like, well, if everyone has one of these really, really talented defensive ends or pass rushers or D linemen, guys like TJ Watt seem to stand out even more. But we can also kind of get lost in the shuffle of debating, well, is TJ Watt better than Nick Bosa or is he better than Miles Garrett? Or I just I look at a guy like TJ Watt when he's on the field, the Steelers win football games. They're a playoff team when he's on the field, when he's not on the field they lose more games than they win. And that's kind of why, like I, the whole war stat that you see yeah. in baseball at the time, right? Like wins above replacement, like whatever TJ Watts war is, has to be off the charts. And I don't really know if there's a way to purely calculate it other than just look at the win loss record no. when he's playing when he's <laughs> yeah. not, 
He is just such it's still probably upwards of five. Honestly, like per which season, is huge. Like, how many wins does he give that team per season just because he's playing? It's probably in that like three to four range, which is insanely valuable for a position outside of quarterback. The only time you really see that much of an impact is at the quarterback position. And not that we need to remind people like, hey, good point, Jeff. TJ Watt's good at football. Like, yeah, no shit. We all know that. But at some point, like, you you do have to recognize that, like, he comes in and completely takes over games. And you have a rookie cornerback in Joey Porter Jr., who I do think is very good and has played really, really well. And, and to your point, Scott, he played great on, on Thursday. Patrick Peterson is in the very back end of his career. They're missing their other best defensive player in Minka Fitzpatrick. TJ Watt's not in that game. There's no way the Steelers win that football game. Yeah, and I think it's that's a good it, point. We've become so used to it because there are so many good pass rushers that I do think well, it is worth bringing up again just how ridiculously good that guy is. He is by I mean I still think he's in Nick Bosa's class and Miles Garrett. Like there's a group of them up there. I I think I don't think he's distinguished himself away from them. I think there there's just three. I feel like every week one of them gives us a play where you're like this guy just had what two strip sacks like. This guy's the best defensive end. Like they're all going back and forth. Like hold my beer, hold my beer, hold my beer. It's like yeah. Jesus, man. This is getting ridiculous. To your point, like a lot of these guys are getting winning games on defense from an edge rushing standpoint. It's crazy. I love to see it. I I, I honestly like, and maybe this is a hot take. It's not that like Bosa is like they're all sick. They're all so fucking good. So like. You're splitting, not just splitting hairs, you're splitting the fucking atom trying to differentiate these guys, right, with how good they all are. To me, I think there's the tiniest little gap between TJ Watt and Miles Garrett and then the next couple guys down. And for Miles Garrett, it's because there is nobody built like him in the NFL, period, either side of the ball. And with TJ Watt, it's the impact of what he does. The way that he affects the outcomes of games is is greater than any. It's it's very similar to like what Aaron Donald was doing, and what JJ Watt was doing, and those you know obviously the Watt brothers. But like he is at that level. But when Aaron Donald and TJ Watt were doing it, there was no one that was in their class. Now we're just at, a, at an era of football right now where there are multiple guys that are kind of in that class, and and I think any opportunity and not just on the edge either. <laughs> like yeah. It yeah. used to be specific to edge rushers who could get get out there and, and have all the sack records, unless your name was Lawrence Taylor. Uh, but like now it's like interior linemen too that are that are getting in the mix, which like that just makes it all the more special what TJ Watt is doing. Absolutely. Um and credit to Will Levis, you know, I, I thought he played really well. I mean, again, like this is a kid, short rest. He kind of got thrown into starting on a short week, his first start, balled out comes up against a really good defense hostile environment playing in Pittsburgh on a short week and he played well like I I think at this point like if you look at all of the rookie quarterbacks we've seen so far is I know it's a small sample size but I kind of feel like the best about Will Levis out of everyone not named CJ Stroud yeah I was was about to say no I mean again CJ Stroud is up here but just through through the two games we've seen it feels like comfortability decision making like he passes the eye test he's not making dumb mistakes he's not dancing in the pocket he's making big time throws i don't know i I mean anthony richardson like those guys look to your point comfortable right away like they can play they can ball i think anthony got hurt that's the only it's a bummer for him but like to your point all three of those guys look comfortable now stroud will get to just looks at a whole different level of comfortability holy 
shits up. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying, like, if you were to, if you were to ask which of those four guys that, that were drafted at the top, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, uh, uh, CJ Stroud, and, uh, and Will Levis, even though he was drafted in the second, like, if you were to ask me which one of those you would want as your quarterback for the next decade in your franchise, I mean, Will Levis has got to be near the top with CJ, too. And I don't think it's particularly close beyond that. I, I think the only argument would just be Anthony Richardson's ceiling is so high. Like and that, Anthony and Anthony Richardson's ceiling is higher and that you saw flashes of what made him such a tantalizing prospect in the first few weeks of the season, the injury stuff. He had three injuries within his first like five games in the NFL. That's a big concern. Uh, and and there was just on a terrible team <laughs> and, and Bryce. I mean, it's, it's so hard to judge, but I mean, he threw two pick sixes yesterday. Like, the Bryce Young thing is is starting to look bad, and and it's hard to tell how much of that is is Carolina, which is obviously a bad football team, um, versus how much of that is is some of the size stuff with Bryce a legitimate legitimate problem. Uh, all right, let's move to the Sunday games: Dolphins, Chiefs in Germany. Um, I mean, look, I turned this game on. It was it was seven nothing Chiefs, and then a blink of an eye, it was twenty one nothing, and I went, "Damn, the Chiefs Chiefs are putting it on them." Uh, the Dolphins then came out and pitched an absolute shutout in the second half. Uh, there was a lot of talk. Dolphins are frauds. Dolphins are frauds. I was really impressed by what the Dolphins did coming back into this game. Uh, the fact that they had a chance to still win this game at all, I thought was really impressive. Uh, not the best to a game, not the best Tyreek Hill game, but the Dolphins held the Chiefs to 14 points on offense. The Chiefs held the Dolphins to 14 points on offense. And the only difference was, the Tyreek Hill fumble and the uh, the rugby pitch back, which was such an awesome play at the Great end of the play. first half yeah. there. Oh, um, beautiful. Uh, you, you, it's, and it's crazy because the Chiefs are the only team that really do that. You, you see like once a week or once every couple of weeks, there's a Travis Kelsey downfield lateral at some point. It's something that like, I don't know if Andy Reid gives them the green light to do that in certain situations where it's like, hey, if it's there, take that. Uh, it's something that you don't see any other team in the NFL really do until you get to like the final play of the game, but it seems to work out for the chiefs at a pretty high clip. And I don't know if we were going to get to a point where they start teams start to try to do it more or what. I, I don't know. Um, but that play ended up being the difference. I thought the dolphins did a really good job of getting themselves back in this game, but this is another example, right? For all the for, for everything we've said about the Chiefs, and, and the number one thing I've been harping on for the last few weeks is that the Chiefs have a top five defense. The Chiefs might have the best defense in the NFL, period. And even if if Patrick Mahomes is throwing to a bunch of nobodies who are continually dropping balls, but he's still playing the best individual quarterback he is, you know, depending on what stats you're looking at, but especially the like the high level analytic stats, Mahomes is having his most impressive season in terms of like mastery of the quarterback position. You know, the little things like on target percentage, lowest number of bad throws that he's ever had in his in his career. So, like, there's a lot of high metric stuff. He also has the most drops or his wide receivers have the most drops in the NFL, which is obviously not his fault. Um, but this is what we're afraid of. Right. And what everyone in the NFL should be afraid of, which is that eventually the Chiefs are going to figure something out offensively. It's, it's just a matter of time. But if their defense is this good and can can cover in the secondary can be opportunistic making plays like and they're not just like stumbling into turnovers these are things that are like flat out like they have guys who make plays they have one of the best defensive linemen in football and chris jones 
Uh, I think they have one of the best linebacking units in football. The secondary has been really good. Trent McDuffie coming on to his second, third year has been really, really good for them. Mm-hmm. It's a scary thought, man. A Patrick Mahomes-led team with arguably the best defense or one of the best defenses in the NFL is going to be really scary come December and January. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is like I, I tell you, you know, you can complain to till the cows come home about the Eagles. They're still finding ways to win games that they they either shouldn't be in or or find a way to to get the job done through. 60 minutes of football and close it out. And that's kind of what Mahomes is doing, right? Like, especially with this defense, like Travis Kelsey didn't have a game at all um, in this one. And yet still Mahomes and the offense were able to put out 21 points in the first half and then get a big play from their defense. So uh, to to that end, like, I, I think that's the, what you're saying, Jeff, the biggest danger is because we've never seen Mahomes have this defense. We've seen Mahomes get this defense when it comes to Super Bowl time when Spags has got the boys humming and all of a sudden they make a play in the in the Super Bowl, uh, which has happened each of the last two times they've been there. But it's not been all season long, and it's not been this is how the Chiefs get to 7-2 and two, uh, through nine games. It's it's all been the offense. And so if Mahomes is winning like this, once that starts clicking, that, to me, I, I agree with you, I think is more dangerous than uh, the defense figuring it out while the offense is already clicking. Yeah, to me, I mean, there's nothing like a good defense for an elite quarterback to get him the ball back and to make up for the mistakes, even of his receivers, to your point. But, I mean, I just want to preface this because I think a lot of people were on the Dolphins before this game, and and what is crazy is how fast the Chiefs came out, right? Like, that was crazy, to your point. All of a sudden, blink of an eye, it was 21, and then they looked like shit the rest of the game. I mean, they didn't look like complete, like the worst team in the NFL, but – they didn't look like the Chiefs no. in the second half on offense. And luckily their defense did just enough and their offense had a couple of possessions. But I mean, bad third down conversion or like uh, percentages by both teams, both below 30, like the good high completion percentage for both these quarterbacks. Everything was underneath. They they put the top on, everything was underneath. And this game just took a while and it drug on. And it was a very strange game, I think, for both these offenses. And uh, it seemed like more for the Dolphins defense to start. Um, but these are the game. This is a playoff caliber game, right? In terms of teams and, um, the chiefs still have the edge in these big games. It feels like even when they, you know, Kelsey doesn't have a good stat line and Mahomes is throwing to guys who are just dropping the ball. Like they're still finding a way to get it done. So, um, it's pretty incredible. And and by the way, you ready for this stat? It has been 406 days since the dolphins have beat a team over 500. Wow. That's crazy. That How is many? crazy. 406 days. <laughs> well, that's, wow. that's the. Yeah. So I'm just saying it's like... out there. I'm just throwing it out there. We're going to track it. I'm not saying how I feel about it, but we're going to track that on this pod. Even winning record aside, like when they play a good defense, like they have not looked good this year. All we talked about leading into that Eagles game was Jesus. How are the Eagles going to slow down the, the Dolphins? And they did. They gave up what? Seven, 10, 17 points, whatever it was. Um, and that's the best defense they played all season. The Bills, who they played um, when their defense was healthy, they only scored 20 um, in a loss. And so I think it, it might be a problem of just running into good defenses that know how to scheme and slow down whatever speed you're getting from those guys on the back end. Yeah. And putting and, and, pressure to his face. And to that point, too, like 
the Dolphins also, their defense is middle of the pack. Like, they're not bad. You know, they're not the worst defense in the NFL, but they're not in that top 10, you know, tier, right? Like, they're, they're, they're floating exactly in the middle, which if you have an unbelievable offense, most of the time that works out. But so far, when they've played, I mean, like, what were the big, what's the big thing in common that the Bills, the Eagles, and the Chiefs all have on their defense, right? They're really good on the line of scrimmage. And outside yep. of Teron Armstead, the offensive line for Miami is one of their biggest weak points. So if you can get after the quarterback, if you can disrupt the timing, I heard uh, Ben Solak describe it as it's like it's a well-oiled machine, right? And and generating pressure because of everything they do pre-snap, right? All of the motion they do, it's so precise that like it's like a pebble going into the engine of a Lamborghini, right? Like that one little pebble goes in there and the next thing you know, the whole engine goes haywire because it, it's so precision-based, when they play teams with really, really good defensive lines and guys who can disrupt the line of scrimmage where they lose that battle up front, which historically speaking, most of the best teams in the NFL have really good defensive lines and can try they try to win the line of scrimmage, they tend to struggle and slow down, and then their defense typically doesn't keep them in games. To their credit, their defense kept them in this game, and in a weird way, this is kind of why I feel like this is a year that despite as scary as it is with Mahomes having a top five defense, I feel like this is the year where the Chiefs can be their most gettable because next year they will they will not have a gap at wide receiver. They just won't. They're going to go out and find people to come in and play that position to come. Like They're not going to rerun this, especially, you know, that tight end possession position. When you hit a certain wall, you fall off. Right. You go from being one of the most important players in the NFL, like Travis Kelsey is right now, or like Gronk was to like, you can still help us out in the goal line. You're still going to have a couple of moments, but you're not going to slant the field. Like I was saying before, the way that Travis Kelsey has in the past, I think because of where this chief's defense being as good as it is, but also their offense being so unpredictable and inconsistent. If they don't get it figured out, come December, come January, their defense will be good, but their defense is still going to be liable to make like to, to miss opportunities. And what we've learned in the NFL, particularly the modern NFL, is you need to win the line of scrimmage. You don't necessarily have to go by the old adage of defense wins championships because it doesn't necessarily win championships anymore. Having a really good offense is a, is a necessity to win championships. Having a good defense and opportunistic defense is important, but if the Chiefs don't get the offensive production up, I mean, they had 46 yards in the second half of this game. If you're if they're playing Cincinnati, if they're playing Baltimore, if they're playing Philly in a big time playoff game in the Super Bowl, they are going to be able to need to score. Like they, this cannot happen in order for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. So if the offense gets figured out, it's the scariest team in the NFL. If the offense doesn't get figured out, then I think this is the most gettable the Chiefs the Chiefs are in this Mahomes era. Um which I think makes for a really fascinating finish because we're looking around the AFC and it's like the Bengals look like the Bengals and they look really fucking good. The the Ravens look unbelievably good and that defense looks incredible right now. Um, so it's not going to be an easy path to get to a Super Bowl in the AFC. It's still Mahomes. It's still Kelsey. It's still Andy Reid. You still give them the, that credit. But if they don't get it figured out come December – I think this is a year where you can get past the Chiefs because this won't happen again down the line. They're going to spend the money to get somebody in there who can catch the freaking football, um, or at least the draft capital. And we know that every year you can get guys, 
you know, second, third round at wide receiver who can be impact guys for you. All right, let's get to the two the two best games of the day were games that we really did not expect coming in. Um, I love the Josh Dobbs story. We're going to start with Minnesota 31, Atlanta 28. Um, it's an unbelievable story. Like, if you're a football sicko like we are on this podcast, like, this is why you watch so much football. Like, because of yes. stories like this, because of moments like this. Like, this is just truly an unreal story. I'm mad at Josh Dobbs for fucking up one of my locks. And I really thought the Falcons were going to have this game in the bag. <laughs> if they didn't I, knock the starting quarterback out, they probably would have. That's I was mad too, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Jared, Jaron Hall was struggling in that game <laughs> yeah. and Josh Dobbs. And, you know, I was thinking, cause everyone's, I've seen people like compare it to like the Geno arc and some other things. And like, you know, Josh Dobbs is basically out of the league before Tennessee called him at the end of last season was like, Hey, come in and play for us. And that was enough to kind of get, it was like his last chance to stick in the NFL. And now he's had multiple moments this year, beating the Cowboys to Arizona. And now this unbelievable comeback to beat the, the Falcons. The Josh Dobbs story is crazy because he was not a high profile guy coming out of Tennessee. His Tennessee career was crazy volatile. Like it was like moments where the Tennessee looked really good. It was the, um, oh, what was the coach who got fired for the literal McDonald's bags of cash pre NILs, the guy before Josh Heupel. Um, oh, he was, he was the, he was the Alabama assistant. I'll look it up. We'll get Zach Parker on that in a second. Um, but he, you know, he was like a very middle of the road quarterback at Tennessee had a, a little bit of extra arm talent, was a good athlete, was crazy smart. Everyone at this point knows he was like the astrophysicist at yeah. Tennessee and like worked for NASA. Um, and now he went from basically being out of the league, getting a call last minute to go play in a playoff game, essentially for Tennessee to potentially make the postseason last year, played well, given the circumstances. Then he gets a call a week before the season starts, goes to Arizona, becomes a starter, beats Dallas early in the season, plays competitive football from that spot, gets traded. He's literally there for two days. And then this unbelievable story and all of the clips from social media, Kevin O'Connell in the locker room afterwards, um, them, the team waiting for him as he was finishing up media stuff to come in and yeah. the whole team locker room going nuts. It was top to bottom. One of one of my favorite stories we've seen in the NFL in a long time. So shout out to Josh Dobbs. You can't say it enough. And the Falcons yeah. are five and or the Falcons. The Vikings are five and four, man. Well, and, right there. What some <laughs> things about him? I mean, like, so you guys got to understand when like people compare it to when Baker went to the Rams, what last year or two years ago? Last a little year. different because he went in and got all the first team reps and was like, "We got to get you as ready as you can be." And it was a similar offensive like language to what he experienced before i mean the way josh dobbs said it in his post-game press conference this is great he's like it's like you're studying for a spanish test and you're studying and you're studying and then on wednesday you find out your test on sunday is in french and you don't know what to do and then not not on top of that he's like you're also throwing into guys who are like um you he never threw any routes to the receivers apparently because they want all the first reps to go to the other um to go to the starter at the time hill then he never took snaps so when they were doing the cadence check on the sideline all the linemen around they're just listening to him and it was the first time he's getting snaps from the center i mean this is on the sideline of an nfl game the fact that they went on to win is one of the most this to me will go down like as one of the craziest games i'll ever remember this goes with when the broncos had to start Kendall hitting that quarterback for the game when we didn't have anyone from COVID. Like 
one of those extreme rare cr- cases that creates like exceptional opportunity. We lost that game. The fact that Dobbs won this game is to me is off the charts insane. I cannot believe it. And and apparently the coordinator, by the way, the coordinator's calling calls a play in. Jo- he would repeat it. And the coordinator was telling him, like, all right, you got to post on the right side, slant on the left. Like, was telling him until the voice cut out because it cuts out after a certain amount of time, like, what he was going to see in the play, which is wild that, like, he's like, all right, like your post. Basic let me just, let me just get that thing. real quick. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It's insane. Drawing the play on your hand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I that, that was quite a job. Butch Jones, by the way, at Tennessee, the head coach that you were referring to. The, well, uh, no, it was, it was actually was Jeremy Purit. It was Jeremy Pruitt, was, was, Pruitt. Was, yeah. was, was the coach, but Butch Jones was before him. Um, but I think I'm so when did Josh Dobbs get drafted? He was 2018 or something. That's what I thought. Yeah. So he, yeah, he played under so. he played under Butch Jones for Butch Jones. 2017 draft. Yeah. Which like think about that, right? That's six years in the league. Like Geno Smith was a first round draft pick. Like Geno Smith was a guy who had expectations coming in. There were storylines. There was him getting punched in the face when he, you know, and broke his jaw when he was playing for the Jets, right? And then he, he stinks. And he just jumped around to a couple of places. Like Josh Dobbs was a guy who most people forgot was even in the league. Like he he's was had a- nine stops since he got drafted. He spent like say, three like his, years as a backup for Pittsburgh. Yeah, and in the last like, two years. <laughs> yeah, no, he's bounced around a lot. I mean, he started this year on the Browns. Like I remember seeing him in the preseason game. Uh, then they, he, you know, trade Arizona. He got that start. Now the Vikings. Last year, like to your point, last year he was on the Browns, Detroit, and the Titans. Like he's been all over and churned. And the fact that, like, I think he's definitely earned a place now. Where it's like, dude, he's going to be a backup in the NFL for for probably the next 15 years. And if anyone needs a quarterback off the bench, he's going to be the first call that he came in, didn't even know the offense and did this. He's earned himself a payday in the NFL and good for him. He's, good he's, for the, him. Next, yeah. he's the next Colt McCoy. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be that guy that hangs around, you know, Colt McCoy, Matt, um, uh, Matt Barkley, like the guys who just hung around for a long time as backups, Case Keenum. Boy here. Brian Hoyer. <laughs> Brian Hoyer. Yeah, he's 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 working himself into one of those types of positions. And the thing is, too, is it's like he's really smart, like crazy intelligent. But he's also like one of those guys that people just he's a good dude, like and and has battled adversity throughout his life. And is just like a brilliant, smart, crazy, athletic, nice guy. You can't say a bad thing about the kid. And to, to be doing what he's doing. And Vito, you said exactly in that quote being like, you, it's. It's you're 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 taking a, a test about a book you read, but then all everything in the book is in a different language, right? Like, or everything that's all the tra- the test itself is in a different language, and the fact that Kevin O'Connell is basically talking to him in his ear, like you were, in, like you would play football in your backyard with your buddies when you were kids, and you draw out the plays on your hand, and you're like, are you going to do a post route? You're going to do a button hook? You're going to do a little Ohio? You're going to you're going to do this little swing route? Like that's literally how he's translating it to Josh Dobbs. Apparently he his was headset. Apparently he was on the line too, and like telling someone emotion, but he didn't know the guy's first name. Like he he knows some nicknames. He said it afterward. Like, do you know all the guys' names? He's like, he's trying to avoid it, but like, no, he doesn't know all the guys' names. Like he barely mm-hmm. met him. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's not just like playing at recess with your friends. It's like playing at recess with a bunch of strangers, and you still won. <laughs> Well, and there was a moment too where Josh Dobbs got a little banged up, and Cam Akers was going to be the emergency quarterback because they didn't have anybody else. They didn't have a third quarterback on the roster, so they couldn't even use the new rule where you have the emergency quarterback rule. Like 
it was going to be Cam Akers, who unfortunately we learned today tore his Achilles and is now going to be done for the year after they traded for him earlier in the season. Um, K.J. Osborne took a really nasty hit in the first half of this game. Uh, he ends up missing the rest of the game. So it's like not only are you doing this, like quarterback's been there three days, offensive line, they're starting, I think, left tackle got scratched from the uh, – Darisol got scratched from the game be- right before game time. So you're missing your your left tackle. You're on your your third string quarterback who's been there for three days. Your best one of your best running backs is one of your two starting running backs gets knocked out of this game. And then your number three wide receiver goes out. And now you're down to a rookie in Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, a makeshift offensive line, getting fed plays like you're playing backyard football on, on the old PC. And yet they Incredible. fucking they beat the number eight yeah. pass defense in the NFL. That's insane. Yeah. It's objectively insane. Yeah. But to to your point, it's one of the reasons we love football, right? Like I yeah. was locked in and you saw you heard how excited if you watched Red Zone, how excited Scott Hansen was just like uh, uh, do it calling the game almost play by play when they when they threw it on Red Zone. It was incredible. And for the Vikings doing all of this without Justin Jefferson for 4 weeks now has been a feat like I could not even fathom. And now you got, we just, I just saw today, he might be within his 21 day practice window. You get him back after you go five and four, go out next week and get another one. You're two games above 500. Dude, I, this Vikings team can play and they've been through some adversity and they've beaten some really good teams, really good defenses. Uh, and, and I think that, that, uh, that when you, when you add it all up at the end of the year, that's the kind of stuff that like uh, you look at in the playoffs is like, how did you get here? What were the tests you faced? And it's like, uh yeah, the adversity that Minnesota faced and to do it that way, uh, to get to what might be a postseason berth is probably one of the 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 better routes this year, one of the tougher teams you're gonna have to beat in the postseason. Oh, Jeff, you're on mute. Oh, baby. Two in the last wow. three weeks. How about that? <laughs> oh, this might be oh a, my god, this is moment. awful. This is just what am I doing? God. You guys might need to put hire a zip recruiter. Get it. You might need to get a new host in here. Jesus, oh, that was man. terrible. Even, even Michael Jordan um, missed free throws, bro. Don't worry about it. Don't to to start the season one, and, but so to start the season one and four, and was it the Kansas City game that Justin Jefferson got hurt? Yeah, it was four weeks. Uh, yeah, so he lost. So that game he got hurt. They lost that game to Kansas City, twenty-seven to twenty. Since then, in the four games without Justin Jefferson, they are four and zero. And they're now above 500. They've lost. They had no Justin Jefferson. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost their left tackle. Uh, It's just, it's a truly remarkable run that they're going on. And I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to say it. This isn't sustainable. This is not going to continue. I love the story. Come on, and we should enjoy and, the and, story. Look, when Jeff Saturday came in and beat, you know, the beat the the Raiders last year, we were like, "This is incredible! How the fuck did that happen?" That's one of the most wild things. A dude who was just talking on ESPN on first take two days ago is now the head coach of the fucking Indianapolis Colts, and we all get fired up. And then what inevitably happens, right? Like it comes back down to earth, which is why. And I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm saying this to be like appreciate it in the moment, right? We are so in, in football, we can be so bad at being like prisoners of the moment and get so caught up in the recency bias of it all. It's okay to do that in the NFL, I think. 
I really do. I think when you're talking about like predictions long term, you don't always do that. But in terms of like the enjoyment, in terms of like reasons we love football for stories like this, soak this shit in. Like, this is why we this is why it's the best sport. This is why it's the most popular sport in America. This is why it it crushes. It's it's out of the top 100 TV broadcasts. 85 of them are NFL games every single year. It's because shit like this happens a few times throughout every season. And it's fucking electric. I mean, that moment you were talking about there, Scotty, with, with Scott Hansen, where it's he's calling that plus the Baker Mayfield touchdown yeah. at the same plus time. CJ Stroud or, at the same, all yeah. three at the same was time, it, basically. Was it, well, I don't, I, cause I, cause I think it was the Josh Dobbs one and then it was the Baker Mayfield one happened right at the same time. Yeah. And then after that ended and after the Minnesota game ended, was then we locked in on CJ Stroud and him going down the field and, and scoring the touchdown there at the end. Like, that to me is fucking incredible. Like that is some of the coolest shit that you see. And this is why we get so locked into the NFL. And like, I love the chaos of college football, but there's a gravity to moments like this because it's the NFL that like for as amazing and popular and incredible as college football is, it doesn't always have because there's just a little bit more chaos. This has like weight to it. You know, like he made this throw and you're like, Holy shit, the Vikings are winning the fucking Super Bowl, And then you breathe for a second. You're like, okay, no, that's not going to happen. But still, what we just watched was absolutely unbelievable. So, I mean, shout out to them. The Falcons on the other side here, like Heineke, like the offense looked better with Heineke, inarguably, right? We saw that. Yeah. Arthur Smith has already come out and confirmed Heineke starting again next week. I think Desmond Ritter has lost his his starting job, um, which, again, is a shame as someone who, like, I like Desmond Ritter. I think he's a good kid. I think he's going to hang around the league for a little while. He'll probably – Heineke will probably get hurt at some point, and Ritter will come back. He'll get another opportunity to to try to improve, to try to do something. But ultimately, like, this is Heineke's team now. And I think their defense is still really good. This was a weird, you know, bigger-than-football kind of moment in, in the, the way that this game unfolded. I still think the Falcons might be the best team in the NFC South. That division right now is just one after another between Tampa Bay, between the way that the Saints ended that game against Chicago and, and fucked up our podlock. And, and we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Um, nobody wants that division. It feels like it feels like it's just going to come down to whoever gets the lucky bounce in the game against each other, who ends up getting the, the, the I feel like this is going to be a year we have a, a team with a losing record, win a division and host a playoff game. It also feels like this is the division that's going to end up with a tie in it between two of their conference yes. members for yes. sure. Oh, buddy. It's sloppy ball. Oh, buddy. It's sloppy ball out there. Hey, well, well, I, I I tend to agree with you, Jeff. I I don't think any worse of the Falcons. I think they were just on the short end of a of a miraculous sort of day uh, for the Vikings, but they also got away with one here because Tampa ended up losing in their game, and because the the Saints looked relatively mediocre in the 12 chances they had to really just step on the the throat and, and put the game away against the bears. Um, and then there's the Panthers. So I, I think Atlanta got away with one, but I think moving forward, you have to, you have to focus on uh, not only the fact that, that you have continuity now with Taylor Heineke starting for a second consecutive week um, and a third in the game, um, but also like get back to what you were doing when you were winning, which is, Balancing the offense, running the ball, letting your defense do the work. So uh, get away with one and uh, and live to fight another day. Yeah, and <laughs> look, no Falcons, no Drake London in this game, but like 
The tight end position was Janu far. Johnny Smith, <laughs> Smith had a had a monster game. Um, I know fantasy owners were like, "What the fuck?" But even Kyle Pitts, I think, had seven catches for for eighty something yards. Right, like he was getting the target share that he should be getting in, in every single game. You're going to get that more consistently with with Heineke, and I think long term that's going to help. The other thing is, look, they're a game behind. The, the the Saints who were in first place in that division, they still have both of their games against the Saints ahead of them. They play Arizona this week, then they go and they play uh, New Orleans, and then they play New Orleans again the last week of the season. And that game will matter because this division will be so close at that point still that I feel like whoever wins that week 18 game is probably going to be the team that ends up winning that division and hosting a playoff game. So everything's still in front of the Falcons. They, again, they were on the wrong side of this one. It was the wrong day, the wrong time. Something crazy happened, and and that's football, man. That's that's why we love this shit. It's why we love football the way that we do. Um, all right, the other game at this time slot, which I would argue as a as a game was actually a better game than yes. the Minnesota Atlanta game, but the Josh Dobbs the Josh Dobbs storyline was too good not to lead with. Um, C.J. Stroud setting rookie records left and right sets the rookie record for passing yards of the game, four hundred and seventy five yards passing. Five touchdowns, which also ties a record. Um, I, I saw a stat that um, C.J. Stroud, through nine games, has more touchdown passes in his career than Kenny Pickett. Yep. Um, With 21 now, games under his yeah. belt. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, now, look, Kenny Pickett wasn't the full-time starter last year. You know, it took until about halfway through the season. It's kind of an unfair stat to Kenny Pickett. But I think it also is to say C.J. Stroud can fucking ball, dude. Like, uh, that dude's a gamer. It feels like remember the game against Georgia last year in the in the semifinal that on New Year's mm-hmm. Eve that unbelievable yes. game and everyone's like who is this CJ Stroud we haven't seen this guy this guy who's scrambling with his legs who's who's laying everything out on the line like it feels like we're seeing that version of CJ Stroud every single week in the NFL like he he understands like this is what you have to do in the NFL you have to ball out you have to make these kinds of throws week in week out and he's elevated his game to when he was playing at Ohio State and it was that Ryan Day offense and with unbelievable wide receivers, Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba and everyone on that team. There were so many easy throws that you were like, all right, let's see him do it against a really good defense. And then he went out and hung 40 on Georgia last year. And of course, they end up losing that game at, at the last second. It was an unbelievable game. But we're seeing that version of CJ Stroud week in and week out to go 75 yards in less than 40 seconds. Um, an unbelievable throw down the sideline. Didn't need a PI to get the ball down the field, like just threw a dime. Clock management off the charts, playing a good defense. Um, I mean, look, his defense is young, and like credit to Tampa Bay because you know Baker Mayfield went down, and I thought when they scored, I was like, that's it, like Tampa Bay stealing this game. Um, we all, I think we all took Tampa Bay to cover in this game, right? So we they which, did well the back door with the touchdown. Okay, so it feels it feels it feels this, a little dirty. It feels a this little is dirty. Right time to mention okay. that. The Texans kicker goes out. Yeah. So their yeah, backup dude, that was crazy. <laughs> is kicking off and he kicked he kicked one field goal, uh, no extra points. They were going for two, but he kicked a field goal back every scored. time, though. Oh, he had a he had a leg on him, man. It was yeah. awesome to see, first of all. And then second of all, there like was, the fact he well, made was, a field goal. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's just an incredible thing to see. But th- th- because of that, at the very end of the game, if you didn't watch, they score a touchdown, right? They go up, they're up two. And they were down four. They're up two now, and they didn't kick the extra point. The spread was three, so they just leave it. And I think they ran some player, took a knee. Just no, so they, they took they took a knee. They yeah, they could have run because if they because they yeah. fumbled or intercepted, and, and Tampa Bay takes it back to the house, then it's a tie it's game. Two. 
So it was crazy to see all this break out. And basically it was like a bad, the, one of the biggest bad beats ever, but for us, it was a great beat. I had them in so many parlays. This was an incredible cover. This is when the football gods just reach down and hand you a gift. That yeah. is this cover, but what an incredible game. This was so fun to oh, watch. Sweet. By the way, the receivers that he's throwing to again, it's Noah Brown tank Dell rookie tank Dell going off two touchdowns. Dalton Schultz getting involved. Like Nico Collins out there catching a touchdown too. It's just uh it's a developing group. It's a developing team. And this team, I think, has a chance to get better and better in the next couple of years. I, it's exciting, man. It's exciting to have like an up-and-coming team like Houston, especially in the division with the Jags, who are also on the same route. It's cool. It's good to see. Dude, and Demico cool. Ryan's it's- is such a good fucking coach. Like, yeah, and and I didn't mean to cut you off there, Scotty, but it's just like like what he's done already, like just the in-game awareness to be like, hey, like that's a rule that got changed in the last couple of years of like if you return an extra two-point conversion for a touchdown, it's two points, right? Like all that kind of stuff, like to have the situational awareness, to go in, to do that, to have a game plan in place, to do this with a rookie quarterback, with a really, really young team. The defense doesn't have it yesterday. That's clear but the offense steps up and does it to have three players with over a hundred yards. And it's Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz and tank Dell. And your best, your best ride wide receiver, like Tampa Bay took Nico Collins out of the game, except for the one touchdown early. And like, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with tank Dell and Dalton Schultz. And he was like, okay, cool. That's fine. I'll target Dalton Schultz 11 times. I'll target tank Dell, a rookie 11 times. I'll throw the ball to Noah Brown and hit a deep ball for 75 yards. Like, He's not afraid to do that kind of stuff in those moments. And it's it's so much of that is preparation and confidence in the way that that relationship between D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud is already this strong through nine games is so fucking eight, – eight games, actually, because they, they had their bye already, is incredible. It's really incredible. Scotty, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's a credit to, to D'Amico and that whole coaching staff to be able to take this team, which has been at the the – the bottom of the barrel, like scraping the bottom of the barrel for the last few years to go have a good draft uh, where they did give up a lot of capital, but got players who are making impacts right away. Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball, Tank Dell and in the receiving game, CJ Stroud, of course, who they drafted in as the second overall pick, but it takes a village with all of this uh, development, man. And it's, it's not just the guys on the field. They're playing incredible it's the coaching staff. It's the culture that D'Amico brings. It's the front office who's changed the entire culture of the team over the past few years. So uh, it's incredible. And you said it last week, I believe they were they were a play away from uh, from being over 500. And this one would have put them two games over 500 in that case. So now we're talking about playoffs for the Houston Texans, right? Which is we haven't seen in, in a long time. I just love what they're doing. Um, and and if they continue on the path that they are, they're gonna be a really good football team for a long time. Yeah, I I just I love this team. Um and, and look, there was a lot of flack about the way that they handled the draft this year, right? Like sacrificing a future first round pick to go and take Will Anderson. Will Anderson is the 20th ranked edge defender in, fo- in football right now. He's they only got this on him. Like, imagine if that was who the Jags get a couple. Um, uh, Tavon Walker. Tra- Tavon, yeah. Tra- Walker Tra- Trayvon yeah. Walker. Yeah. And he hasn't had the best start. Like to your <laughs> point, if if he had that start, he'll be all over D'Amico and this GM. And I think so. Power yeah. to him. 
I, I mean, look, he's he's graded out as a 79 overall defensive grade. Uh, again, that's insane as a rookie, though. To, like, to do as really a rookie, good. as an edge rusher. And I loved him in college. And he, his junior year, he was literally should have won the Heisman his junior year over Bryce Young. He was the best player in college football his, his, his second to last season. So I guess that was his sophomore year. His junior year, his last year, the Alabama defense lost a ton of talent. And so Will Anderson couldn't just rush the passer anymore. He had to take on a lot of other responsibilities. So his numbers dipped. And so everyone was like, hot commodity Will Anderson, right? His his sophomore year, this guy's going to be a top five draft pick. And then like going into the draft, it was like we were all kind of bored with him because we've just seen him be that good at Alabama for as long as we were. And credit to like D'Amico in, in the front office and, and Nick Casario and everyone there in Houston for being like, this kid's just a guaranteed lock going to be a really good player. Like there was always a bust percentage, a chance with, with Trayvon Walker. Like he's really, really great. Like he was awesome at Georgia, but he was so unpolished. There were so many other things he needed to get better at. Like his ceiling might've looked higher, but like there was a, there was a chance he could be a bust. The, the likelihood of Will Anderson becoming a bust was so low. And yet they still were like, look, this guy's super talented. Everyone was calling him like a poor man's Khalil Mack. He can be just as good as Khalil Mack. I really oh, yeah. do think, I think he, so. can, he can be in that conversation of a premier pass rusher. And, and, and one of those top guys in the NFL right now, he's 20th in the NFL right now as a rookie. Uh, that is really, really hard to do. And, and the rest of this defense is super young. Christian Harris, uh, Henry To'o To'o, uh, Derek Stingley, right, was a top five pick from, from a, a year ago who's playing really, really high in football. But they're young that they have the perfect head coach to build up a young, talented defense. A guy, they went out and they kind of followed the Eagles model, which is like, get guys with pedigree. Get guys who went to Alabama, who went to Georgia, who went to LSU. Get those guys and bring them in with a good head coach who's going to coach them up, get the most out of them, especially knowing that, like, yeah, we're young. We're probably not going to be contenders right away, but give us a few years. And to be where Houston is right now at 500, a legitimate chance to make the postseason because the AFC North is going to continue to cannibalize itself, whether it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore, Cincinnati, they're all going to steal a couple of games here and there for each other. Like if you finish at like nine or 10 wins, you're probably sneaking into the playoffs. And if they can do that with a rookie quarterback in CJ Stroud with how young this team is, you have to just feel so awesome about your future. Right. We, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, teams that feel really bleak about what the future of their franchise looks like. This is the the antithesis of that. This is holy shit. We have our guys, our core set for the next ten years, and that's a great place to be as, as a fan. I'm with you. I'm telling you, if I could pick an AFC team, I mean, we're we're diehard NFC, you and me, Jeff. But if I could pick an AFC team, I love D'Amico and I love this team so much. I might, I might buy a Texan shirt. <laughs> We have ties, man. You and I both have ties. D'Amico was an Eagle for for a good four or five yeah, years. Right. He was he was one of my favorite players during that stretch. He was your defensive coordinator. Um, he's a hard guy not to root for, and so is C.J. Stroud. Because again, C.J. Stroud yeah. was like an afterthought, right? He was oh, another Ohio State quarterback. You know what's this one going to be like? Turns out he's pretty fucking good. So shout yeah. out to them. Uh, all right, the rest of the games. Look, we had some other decent games. Uh, so other not great games in that one o'clock window. Um, let's just wrap. Let, let's do this. We'll go to the Raven Seahawks because I think this is the game, the next game that we learned the most from in this game. Um, look, I told you, I told you guys on the pod on Thursday, if this is an absolute like blowout type game, 
Sorry, all I just had a all my shit just fell on my uh, on my records, and so it was a blowout. It, it was. Um, but look, my my thought was if I see what they did, if they can replicate what they did against Detroit, I'm in. I'm not going to question the defense anymore. All right, they played better in this game. Uh, as someone who has Lamar Jackson in fantasy, I saw the final score, right? And then I look and Lamar has 11 fantasy points. And you're like, holy shit, like how, how is this even possible? How do you score 37 points and your quarterback only has 11 fantasy points? It's like, because they didn't need him. Two reasons. They yeah. needed him to step out, to not make mistakes, to make get a couple of big first downs in the way that Lamar can. I think he's the betting favor right now for MVP, which – Personally, I don't think is right. I don't think he's been the best player in the NFL this year. I don't think he's been the best quarterback in the NFL this year. But the way he's playing is flawless, right? Like what he's being asked to do in running that offense, he is doing at such a high level that the raw numbers aren't going to play it out. But he's just... He's just not making mistakes. Like he is, he is doing everything he's asked to do. He's putting the ball in perfect situations. He's doing it with a banged up offensive line with Gus Edwards again, right? And losing how many running backs. Now they found another ride the bus. (laughs) They found another rookie who's come in now and is looked like a stud, right? Like we're at this point now where the defense is legit. 18 and one in his career against NFC teams, which if I'd known that stat beforehand, um, I would not have picked Seattle in this Ooh. game. Um, but look, Seattle, That's why. <laughs> I, Seattle played like shit. And I like, I still almost don't want to give it credit. Like they were unbelievable in this game. They got so up for that Detroit game. They got so up for this game and they just punched them in the mouth. They're nasty. They're mean. But then you look at the names on the roster and you're like, I still don't necessarily know why. Like, I don't know if it's Mike McDonald, who's their defensive coordinator, who's a really, really good defensive coordinator, second year with that scheme. I still think the core of that defense comes from the literal center of it, which is Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith being such complete difference makers and allowing those guys up front to feel free to go after the pass after the quarterback because they have everything else behind them. Like They don't even have to have a second thought about that because they know that those two guys are cleaning up any mess. But the Ravens right now at 7-2 and – massive win dominated this game and i i don't know man i'm excited for the the, i think baltimore and cincy is coming up in a few weeks that game will be really really fun um the second game between those two will be really really fun i'm very curious man i i don't know how what to i don't know what to make of this team other than they're winning football games the defense looks good they've played two good offenses and they dominated both of them credit where credit's due and that's that's where we're at they're they, they look awesome they do, man. And to your point, credit to them for getting Roquan Smith in that trade with the Bears. They gave up a two and a five um, to, to go after him and get him last, last. Uh, I think it was like October, right before the deadline. Pretty awesome for them because he's turned out to be one of those special players at the core. They, dude, they were awesome in this game. They beat the shit out of the Seahawks. Um, they really didn't stand a chance. Gino was just couldn't get completions even. Kenneth Walker, nine carries, 16 yards. On the other side, Keaton Mitchell, nine carries, 138 yards. Like yeah, that's Keaton Mitchell. It's just crazy. He had a great game. Like again, the Ravens can throw anyone back there. There's in the NFL now, there's a diamond dozen in terms of good running backs from college that you know are on practice squads. You're gonna find someone to fill in there. 
it's just the blocking, the scheme, everything that they have going. Everyone else around you is great. I mean, they had so many players. Mark Andrews got super involved again. He's still their probably best receiver. Um, Odell at least got more involved again, which is it's good to see him consistently in the game now. But like, I don't know, man. It felt like these two teams were in a different class yesterday and they were tied coming into the game. Or not, I think. Yeah, it, it was a there was a bye week difference, so half game difference, but they both had two losses coming in. And the Seahawks look like shit. Scotty, how ho- happy were you looking at the score update? <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I told you. I told you. The Seahawks are not that good, number one. Now, we can t- put that aside even, okay? I told, I said last week that the key to this game was going to be Baltimore's defense not blitzing Geno Smith. I read you off his numbers against when he's not pressured, when he's not blitzed. They're not good this year. They're really not. Uh, I, you can go back and listen to that episode again to to hear how bad they are. They're like bottom 40 in the NFL. The Ravens didn't have to blitz, and they didn't. And it's because of the two guys you said uh, there, Jeff, Patrick uh, Patrick Queen and Roquan, Roquan Smith, that allowed the, the rest of the defense and the secondary to go make plays when – the the pass rush didn't have to exist for Geno Smith to to throw the ball into double coverage for Geno Smith to try to make something out of nothing. His average depth of target when he wasn't blitz is twelve point two yards. That's not going to work when you've got a secondary and a linebacker who are running with your three receivers, uh, who who could not get the ball at all. That's the mo. I I mean I I don't understand. And then the, on top of that, you can't run the ball because this defensive line is good enough to stuff you. Uh, a really good run defense. I I I don't know what the answer is for that Seahawks offense, but it's not carrying that team. That defense, I, I whatever Lamar Jackson and the offensive scheme was um, for the Ravens got absolutely obliterated. The Seattle defense. I, I it was just it was so fun to watch. I told you, man. I'm like the Stephen A. Smith every time the Cowboys lose. Um, I'm the <laughs> when the Seahawks lose, I'm coming on me like. <laughs> I told you, I told you, um, man, it's, it was, it was a rough game for them. Really rough. But um, I do think they're a tough team, um, but I, I think the, the, the cat's out of the bag as to how to beat them um, over the past, uh, past few, few weeks, man. I, I, I just like think that that makes all the difference and they got a tough stretch too. We got to play them twice uh, Seattle and, uh, and, you know, we have to play the rest of the AFC North and the NFC West. So, it's not going to be an easy road by any means. I I disagree about Seattle, and this is more of an NFL-wide thing. It's not just Seattle. I think this applies to a lot of teams. I think the this year in particular, there really isn't like a true, true number one clear-cut top team, right? Over the past few years, we've had some years that are like that, like the years that jump out are like the the – the LA Rams Super Bowl year when it was Rams Bengals, right? Where it was like, yeah, Kansas City is probably the clear cut team, but there's still a couple weaknesses and Cincinnati got them there. But Cincinnati or Kansas City kind of got the default like top team. Um, but we've we've also become so ag- accustomed to the last 20 years essentially of just always assuming the Patriots. Like the Patriots are always number one and everything else is underneath that. Right. And we're kind of in that same, the beginning of that with Kansas city to an extent, but this year feels different with Kansas city, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. This year, we're seeing a lot of teams 
that are just kind of floating in the middle, right? Like everything up to like, even like Philly, I think is not like in a clear cut, right? If you're just going based off of records alone, you obviously have the Eagles, Kansas city and Baltimore, the only teams um, that have seven or more wins. Jacksonville and Detroit are both six and two. So there's five teams with two losses and then everything else you go from uh, Detroit. So then you have Miami, Seattle, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Cleveland, Cincinnati, all have three losses. And then you have another one, two, three, four, five teams who have four losses. So we're talking about 20 teams or uh, 18 teams in the NFL right now that are four losses or less. That is a really big gap. Are, you know, that covers the majority well, of the league at this point. Yeah. So we, I'm just saying we're at a point right now where, like, I don't think Seattle's, like, a bad team. I don't think Seattle's, like, oh, they got crushed by, you know, Baltimore. That means they're done. Like, look what happened since Detroit. Detroit got crushed I, by Baltimore. They're 6-2 right now, right? That's not like, what I said. That's not what I said. You said the playbook's out on Seattle, and I don't think that's true. I think that's what, we're what I said. See, I think, and, and, and what I'm saying is that I don't think that's true. I think what we're going to see is more and more teams beating each other, and that that middle class of the NFL right now is huge, and we're seeing more and more teams that will come out. I don't think we have a clear cut team. I don't think Seattle's now like throw them out. They're not a legitimate team. It's just right now we're more than I can remember in recent history. It feels like any team can walk in on any day, and any outcome can like would not surprise me. Like, I wasn't shocked to see that Baltimore beat the shit out of Seattle. It was not what I thought would happen. But, like, at this point, any outcome that happens because the NFL feels as volatile as it is due to how how much talent there is, the parity across the league, I think it makes for a much more fun product. But, like, I think Seattle could go and sweep the Niners this year, right? And the Niners coming out looked like gangbusters. And the Niners looked like they were going to be the best team in football all year. And obviously they're on a bye this week, so we'll see what they look like from the rest of the season. But I think what we're seeing is just week to week. It's hard to put in. Like, I, I don't put hard statements on any of these teams. Like, Baltimore's played like shit this year, too. You know, like, we, we've seen ups and downs from every single team top to bottom. The Eagles lost to the fucking Jets. You know, Kansas City lost to Denver last week. No offense, Vito. Like, hey, we're wait, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I'm taking offense. Okay, we're on a bye week. There's you don't talk negative on a bye week, Jeff. I, you can't shoot someone on a bye week. I mean, yeah. good well, lord, your bye week's over. We're past the bye week now. Uh, whatever. Our last our last game was still a win against the Chiefs. So it, exactly, and that's exactly my point. And which is that I love I, I love now the transitive property by the way because we beat the Chiefs who beat the Dolphins who put up seventy on us so what the fuck are we what, what I have that, no what idea happens? yeah that's all that's, within a month by the way like that's that's a love triangle I want no part of that sounds like a love October triangle. was weird <laughs> but I think I think ultimately that's a really really good thing for the NFL right now I think it's really cool that we're in a position where there are almost twenty teams with four or less losses nine weeks into the season because it means. Any week, like I fully expect Seattle to come back and look really good in their next game. Just because that's kind of what the NFL has taught us. The the one trend that has happened every single week is beware of the team that looked unbelievable the week before. Like every single week, there's been one team that's looked incredible. And I think in eight out of the nine weeks, they lost the following week. To, to your point too, the other side of this game, the Ravens, every week that we've come on and been like, whoa, Lamar looks like MVP Lamar. And then the next week they go and throw out a stinker and lose to the Steelers. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like they lost to the Colts. They lost to the Steelers this year. Like, I'm not saying that they're not going to be really good. 
but they won by one score against Tennessee. They won by one score against Arizona, although that was a garbage time touchdown. They barely beat Cincinnati with Joe Burrow on one leg. They looked incredible against the two NFC teams they played this year in Detroit. Oh, they beat Arizona, but the two teams in the last three weeks, Detroit and Seattle, who we all think are good teams. But also, I think Detroit is like in that B-plus zone. I think Seattle's in like that B zone, right? Baltimore ceiling is the best team in football. Baltimore could also lose in the first round if they draw Cincinnati as the two seed, and I would not be shocked. They could also go seven and nine. <laughs> uh, hey, there's a lot of what ifs. I just still think this team, I get they're Jeff, we both picked them to go to the Super Bowl. I haven't winning. Like this is Yeah. I had them as the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah. And then I had them losing to Cincinnati in the playoffs and, and oh, that's Cincinnati right. going losing. on to, I have to make going this. all the way. Like this I love this team. I think we're seeing this team execute in offense. Remember, yeah, last year when they faded, Lamar was injured and out. We yep. have not seen this offense for this long actually put this together. So this is going to Com- be awesome. Completely agreed. And the last thing I'll say on this, and then we can move on, because the other games we can kind of move through a little bit quicker. I just want to make this point on, yeah. on Baltimore. <laughs> the thing with, with Baltimore that's interesting is every, like, three to four years, Harbaugh has one of these teams, right? Harbaugh, every single year, like, going back to when he first took over, it's like, what they, they're always good. They're never bad. They're always, like, solid. But then one out of every three or four years, it's like recruiting in college football, like your Indianas and your Wisconsin's who like when that recruiting cycle hits, boom, they explode. Baltimore is kind of like that. And this feels like during that season where it's like, OK, they're going to be one of the best teams come season's end and, and they're going to be in the mix. And it has a lot to do with the makeup and the tenacity and the energy around that team right now. So they're as fun to watch as anybody. Um, and they seem to have a really, really good right now, at least formula for how this offense is running uh all right the other games we had in the one o'clock window a lot of stinkers um commanders patriots was at least a fun game in terms of the finish of that one uh the pats still don't understand how they were a three-point favorite going into that game mac jones is so bad he is he, I, I think he's lost his job but the th- i thought he was just when, good. He, threw he, when he threw that pick at the end when he threw that pick at the end i said yeah. I said it's over. Like that's that was the last pass you'll see of Mac Jones in a Patriots uniform. Yeah, it's and, not good. And they got probably the single worst roughing the passer call yes. I've ever seen in the history. And like despicable. They should find the refs. They, if you're gonna they, find the players, you should find the refs for sure. Well, like have you seen that, some of still. the fines that have come out? Yes, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. John Jerry Swift got tagged for like six grand. For, for, Jalen low, for lowering his shoulder into a linebacker who was coming at him a full head of steam. Jalen like, Warren making a, a legal chip block and gets his entire paycheck. As Patrick Ricard. Patrick Ricard. Everyone's like favorite giant fullback. Yeah. Like he buried a dude in a goal line block to the fucking ground and got fined like 19 grand. Unbelievable. It's insane. It's, insane. It, it's getting to this. At this point, it's getting completely out of hand. And then they're also like they're going to find the guys for that, but then they're also going to throw penalties on defensive players for for what tackling Mac Jones. Like that's right, yeah. And, and somebody it, had a great point, which is and like, what's what, he supposed what, to do in that supposed, scenario? When that's what the guy said, he's like, what is he supposed to do? Turn into water so all of like as right. soon as he lands, everything just dissipates and there's no pressure that gets yeah. falling. I say this to you guys all the time. Can't play defensive end. That's what I mean. Like, there's some of these where I'm like, if he stops his motion right there, he will tear every ligament below his waist. Yeah. Right. I, and it's like, that's the reality. Yeah. It's, that, that is an injury waiting to happen. You can't ask a guy, especially when he's not heading for the head uh, intentionally with intent, which I think you can surmise at least in replay. 
Um, and look, in one of the most crucial crucial moments in the Eagles Cowboys game last night, yeah, one of the sacks on Dak. Jalen Carter came in. I think I, I forget who. I don't know if it was Josh Sweat or um, uh, maybe it was the one of Brandon Graham's sacks. He got him around the waist and came down. And Jalen Carter came in and hit him in the head. Like nine times out of ten, you see a flag. You should see a flag thrown on that. I mm-hmm. was shocked that they didn't. I was thankful that they didn't as an Eagles fan, but as an objective like viewer, like that is exactly what we're trying to get rid of on that last drive. So they there was enough go. penalties in that entire game for a fucking <laughs> year. Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll get to that game so, in the second yeah. half, but yeah, it's just at this point, the, the one in the commanders game was truly egregious. And yeah, was. there was a transcript that came out from the, in, from the press conference where they were talking to the officials about it after the game. And the explanation at this point is just such dog shit. The NFL is protecting the refs. This is where like the beast that is the NFL gets so exhausting. And you're just like, we get it that you're so powerful. We get it that you can just wield your power here and there. But like when you're actively affecting the product on the field, it, it becomes a problem and it hurts viewership. And objectively they see it as like, well, couple million people are going onto Twitter right now and freaking out about it and retweeting and posting. And there's all this discourse and you know what, everyone's going to line up on Sunday and watch it again next week. So why do we have to change anything? They don't have the incentive to change, but at some point they have to do something and I'm all for player safety, but that's like, we're getting to such an egregious level of this. It's happening in college too. And I I was in a group text this weekend. I said something I didn't think I'd ever say. It's like, I'm worried about my own fandom. Like, I love this sport more than anything, but I'm not worried about what the NFL is going to do and all that. Now I'm worried about, is this getting too far to where, like, I'm losing interest in any way in football because that part of it, like, I despise. But there's always something about it you you don't like. But that's like, I'm hoping that we can do a better job in the next couple of years even just getting stricter on what's actually really called. Cause to your point, you hit him in the body, you, you don't land on him and you're still getting called. Like that's just tackling the quarterback, man. I, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. And we got to get that to be reviewed or a uh, I don't know, but something's got to happen. I'll say this to hopefully ease your concerns there, Vito, because obviously I don't like hearing that, but I know you and I know that that's not a concern. And the reason is you will never hate that more than you love what the Josh Dobbs story was this weekend. You will never hate the officiating yeah. more than you love the hot. Like ultimately, and that's or how kicking that's, the shit out of Maryland. Yeah, or or the or the feet. <laughs> so, yeah, so good. Or the <laughs> feeling, so good. the feeling of beating the shit. You know, beating the Chiefs when you are a team that's like falling apart at the side. Like if your team, I mean, if I, we're two games. We're, listen, we're gonna be okay. If you if your team got hung seventy points against you, and you you're still as diehard as you were before. Your, your fandom's not going anywhere. But the sentiment to what you're saying, I completely agree with. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the things that's go- always going to keep NFL fans coming back are the A.J. Brown one-handed te- catch against the Commanders, right? It's going to be those insane moments. Those C.D. Lamb gets the ball right at the goal line and six Eagles jerseys come around and swarm you. But everyone has that thought, like, is he going to break it in? Like, those are the things that will always keep you coming back as, as sports fans. Um and it sucks that we have to deal with this shit along the way because the NFL can't get their fucking shit together with officiating, but eventually they'll get there. And like officiating is such like a major problem in the NBA that like the regular season is unwatchable. Like I, I, I never Baseball thought I too. would, it's kind of, yeah. I never thought I would say that about the NBA. I love the NBA. I love watching basketball. It's hard to watch the regular season product sometimes because of how bad the officiating is. The NFL is not quite there. 
but it's a legitimate fear nonetheless. Um, but yeah, so the commanders go on to win this game. I'm impressed week in and week out with Sam Howell. Yeah. It wasn't the perfect game. It wasn't the cleanest game in the world. But you know what? The kid makes big-time throws and big-time moments. This is his 10th career start. And I think through this sample size, you feel pretty good about him being your guy for at least the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I love what he does every week. He gets better and better. Uh, his decision-making, and I think it's in spite of some of the coaching. Now, granted, they just cut Eric Bieniemy, so uh, hopefully he's able to grow with that offense because I think Sam Howell has the talent to uh, to be really successful in an Eric Bieniemy. Did they offense. cut Eric Bieniemy? You mean they signed him, or what? Did I miss? You just said they cut Eric Bieniemy. Did I miss something? No, I said I. I said in spite of the coaching. But they signed Eric Bieniemy. They uh, got Eric. You said Bien-Ami. you said cut, and that's why I was so confused. I was like, "Wait a minute, did I miss? Did oh, I miss God. some news here?" Yes, they yes they they have Eric Bieniemy here. Who it, that feels too like it's coach and waiting. Um, at this yeah, point, um, Commanders I saw fans after the game, Ron Rivera goes, "We won in spite of ourselves." I was like, "You just beat the Patriot Bill Belichick by three. What do you mean? You're telling your team it was their problem? Yeah. And they they won. They overcame themselves to win this game? Shut up. What are you doing? Though. <laughs> it's not so far off, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mistakes they made in the first half where all of a sudden the Patriots are up 14 to 10 at halftime, and you're like, how the fuck did that just happen? Wow. Um, they have a long way to go. Like, they're, if you put a good offensive line, and I was talking to one of my friends last night uh, who was a diehard Commanders fan, and she was telling me, I was like, she said to me, she's like, I don't want Caleb Williams. And I was like, fuck, you don't want Caleb Williams. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, like my brother's friends with him from high school. They went to high school together. And like, you know, I like him. I think he's talented. Like, guy, right? <laughs> yeah. And and she was like, I'd, I'd rather have Sam Howell and like invest in the offensive line. And I'm like, no, you, you don't like. I, I get what you're saying, and like <laughs> that is where you should go. I don't think the commanders are going to be in a position to get Caleb Williams, but you would take Caleb Williams over, you know, like over Sam Howell. Yes. I don't <laughs> think you would take Drake May over Sam Howell. I think based off the second half of that season, like, and looking at the next crop of quarterbacks, like I know Shador Sanders has had his moments. I know there's like this incoming class looks really promising. I think Sam Howell showed you everything you need within, again, a, a, a 10 game window. And I look at like, not everyone's Jalen hurts. I understand that I come from an Eagles perspective, but as someone who was just in a position where I was like, I thought we had a franchise guy in Carson Wentz, the way that blew up, the way that felt to shit post Super Bowl and everything else that came after that. I hated the Jalen hurts pick at the time. It made no sense. Cause I was fully committed to Carson Wentz being the quarterback. And <laughs> well, right, I remember which, that that was our yeah. first year doing the draft. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I I hated the pick. I absolutely and I love Trey Lance. So like, look where we are now. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the first year that we did the podcast that was for the the fantasy league, and I was like, I don't know. I feel like they wasted that pick. They could have gotten somebody else. Ultimately, it's paid off. The Eagles never thought Jalen would turn into what he's turned into. But watching the Jalen experience and being like, hey, you have a promising young quarterback who's winning enough games that you're not going to be in a position to draft a high end guy and you want to keep that draft capital as much as possible to help build up the rest of the roster with some of the veteran guys you have. The skill guys are great in Washington. The enemy is going to be the coach moving forward. You have new ownership. It feels like it's a bright time to be a commander's fan moving forward. Even if the week in week out stuff is still a little tiring because it, it still has a little bit of that Dan Snyder stink on it. Um, 
but eventually I think they'll, they'll kind of move past, uh, as a pod, are we all, are we a Sam Howell pod? I know Scotty is Vito. I don't think we've oh, yeah. gotten like a full commitment I like about him. Sam Howell. No, I, I watched him in preseason a few times live and I thought, I, I like him. I think he's he's in that bottom third to, and like currently in the NFL quarterback, which is not bad. Like he, I think he is a starter, not a backup, but we'll see what happens in the next year or two as he continues to play a lot of snaps. He's he's keeping his his team in game, so he's not right. He's more liable than like a Desmond Ritter. So I no, I'm a fan. I, I want to see more. Yeah. I want to see more. Yeah, I think as of right now, he's the twentieth ranked quarterback according to PFF. Um. Through what ten starts? Well, yeah, I mean through yeah through nine starts this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that's that's pretty damn good, man. Like that's 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 pretty mm-hmm. damn good. I think he I think he deserves that. Um, twenty fifth, but that's that's including it. That's a total of thirty six. So if you include the guys who had like one start here, one start there, right? Um, he he would be at, he would be at about twenty, uh, right now in the NFL, which is which is pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Uh. All right, let's talk about the game that fucked us. Bear Saints. Um, I hate the Saints. I'm out. I'm never be- I I I pick a team every year that's an irrational hate team because of stuff that has nothing to do with fandom. And the Saints are number one on that list. Uh Dennis <laughs> Allen is a moron. The they defense your is, list this year. Huh? The, the defense is good enough, but like you made Tyson Bajan look like a stud in the first half of this game. And credit again, credit to the kid. We like Tyson Bajan, I think, as a whole. We love the story. But like, <laughs> what was it? Five turnovers? Four of them in the yeah, fourth five. quarter that you were in Bears territory. Three of them were turnovers that and you ended up in the red zone and you didn't get a single point out of any of them. That's bad. I, it's dumbfounding. Kick the it's field bad. goal, make it a two possession game. Your defense oh, they tried so that good. and then they doinked it. <laughs> That's true. But I, yeah, I hate this team. I, to me, like, I don't have a personal reason to hate them, but for this year, actually, I do, but for this year, out on the Saints. I'm not far behind you. I mean, this is bullshit. They screwed us on the pod lock. They screwed me on betting. We can never um, do a pod lock again. If we ever tried to do a pod lock again. It was a again, slam dunk. It was a slam well, dunk. apparently pod not, pod. Scotty. We got blocked. We got we got absolutely wrecked. We got lock man. blocked. Yeah, we got lock blocked, dude. And I'm we not getting lock blocked again. We right, got I'm out on. Blocked. I'm out on the Saints. This is bullshit. No more oh, lock blocks, dude. I hate this. <laughs> we got lock blocked. Oh God. Yeah. No, they they stink. The Bears stink. Um, the Saints actually don't stink. Their defense. I'll is tell actually you what. Really yeah, good. their defense um, is good, and they've got Kamara. So as long as you've got that in the deep ball, you're going to be fine. Derek Carr and, and stinks. I think we can agree I, with that. I've been saying that for the last half decade. Get amongst I, it. <laughs> Here's the list of quarterbacks that are currently graded ahead of Derek Carr this season. Brock Purdy, Russell Wilson, Justin Fields, Geno Smith, Baker Mayfield. Uh, and then you get up to like CJ Stroud and the guys up in the top 10. I mean, that's not terrible. He is. Uh, he's less than one. Playoffs. He's he's graded one point, less than one point higher than Jordan Love. And less than one point higher than, than Deshaun Watson. He's also been – he was injured to start right with the AC joint. Like, you got to give him a little bit of, of space here, I think. I, I'm not out yet on him. I'm out on the Saints. Fuck the Saints. I'm not out on him as a quarterback. And also, I'll at. say this. The, the best thing that's ever happened to Kirk Cousins has been Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr shitting the bed this year because it's it's been like they were all in that little group together, 
and Kirk such Cousins was still playing at such a high <laughs> level. And yeah. the, those guys have completely tailed off. And Kirk Cousins was playing in the league before those guys. Yes. Or at least they all started People, around the same time. So quick reminder for everybody. Kirk Cousins was a second round pick immediately after the at the time Redskins took RG3, RG3 in the first yeah. round. Crazy that they were like back to back and he had this amazing career. RG3 has been in the booth for years. It's crazy to see how different those careers have gone. And RG3 is the good. king of awful takes. Just really yeah. bad takes from RG3. They, they always make you laugh. Uh, and then the last game in the one o'clock window, we have, I think this is the last one, Cardinals, Browns. I had a dumb brain moment. I was dumb. I don't. Uh, I don't know. Eight with the points there made sense when at the time, but like the Browns defense is so good. By the way, so I'm looking at the PFF grades and like, I think everyone likes PJ Walker. Cause when you look at the list of teams he's played for and like the AAF teams and the XFL teams, he currently ranks last in the NFL of all qualifying quarterbacks. According to PFF, Desmond Ritter is graded out at a 48.6. He's one ahead of PJ Walker. He's 35th. 36 is PJ Walker, who was graded out at a 31.1. Sounds about right. I mean, that's what they were three and one as a starter. And he's, <laughs> and he's were, never lost a home start as a professional. It's unbelievable. Well, they, they got Deshaun back, though. So, like, Deshaun was in. That's true. Oh, he looked like crap. I disagree. Man, I disagree. I thought that he, like, yeah, he wasn't great, but he definitely was. I thought that he made some of his best decisions, some of his best throws, like, I thought he finally looked more like comfortable and given it's easy to look comfortable when you're going up against Arizona and you know that your defense is going to literally win the game by themselves. Yeah. But he's still like, he looked loose. It wasn't all just like um, shell stuff that you're just running like base of. He, he did decent. Uh, a couple touchdowns, throwing percentages right around uh, right over 60. I mean, yeah, pretty good. I mean, pretty good it, for talk him. to me next week after it the Ravens looks, game. We'll see. I mean, how about this? It looked I mean, better than Cardinals had 58 yards of offense. So it's not like he had much yeah. of poge in there. Yeah, no, the Cardinals were absolutely awful. Clayton Toon was was just, I mean, 11 of 20 for 58 yards, two touchdowns and seven sacks. Um, the one thing, though, is like, look, Deshaun Watson looked marginally better this week. I actually, I do agree with you, Vito. He did. He went 19 of 30 for 219 yards and two touchdowns against the worst defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically has put up the same stat. Like, this is his best game of the year, and this is like a mid-Derek Carr game. And so, so compared... Derek Carr is good. You're saying Derek Carr is good. It's going com- back to that. Com- compared <laughs> no. to what we've seen from Deshaun Watson, it looked better. But again, if we remove the faces and the helmets and everything, and it's just a bunch of gray bodies out there that we're watching, we don't know it's Deshaun, we don't know all the context... He didn't play great, especially considering the team he was playing against. He played better than he's played so far. So I will give him credit with that. But to Scotty's point, let's see what he looks like next week against Baltimore. Because if he plays like this again against Baltimore, I'd be like, he played really well. I'm in. Yeah. You played like this against Arizona. Eh, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was okay. It was better. It was an improvement. Um, but yeah, this game was never, never in jeopardy. Uh, and I went up against the Browns defense in fantasy and they put up 35 points. So it's always fun in fantasy when you're like, yep, I'm fucked because the defense put up 35 Ooh. points, but you're yeah, I do. Though. No, I'm shout out Garrett Wilson. Need a big day from him tonight. Um, all right. Five points. Quick timeout. We got some other games. You got to hit on the other side, the late afternoon, 
Um, there's really two games we got to talk about here still. Birds, uh, boys, and yeah. Rams, Packers. Oh, Rams, Packers. Oh, That's right. Which yeah. I'm okay with missing. Rams stink. Awful. That <laughs> yeah, game was Brett so Rippin, bad in general. Terrible. Jordan Love. See what happens when the Packers better. run. The Packers run the ball. Like they can score. It's, the Rams. Aaron Jones is a key man. This was it on was like, red zone for a total of like three plays. It was like two <laughs> weeks ago, and I was like, it was Aaron Pack. Jones' was like, touchdown. Two, two weeks ago, I was like. The Rams, the coming playoff team, watch out. And now I'm like, the Rams are <laughs> fucking awful. They're so bad. So, yeah, that's all we need to put in for those games. All right, quick break. We come back. We get the last four games we got to hit, and then we'll get you guys on the way to the rest of your week. All right, late afternoon, Sunday night games. We'll start with the games that we don't need to talk about as much because we can get through them quickly, and then we'll hit Eagles, Cowboys, and Bills, Bengals because those games were both really fun. Um Colts 27, Panthers 13. The Panthers are in some trouble. Um, it was the most D-Gen lock I think we've ever had, picking the Colts minus three and a half in this game. But it was like I never felt more confident in a lock hitting. Like I felt yeah. more confident on that than I did the New Orleans one just because I, I knew not to trust the Saints, and they came back to bite me in the ass anyway. Um, this one, I was just like, the Panthers are terrible. Like even in that game against Houston last week, which they somehow won, there was no way that they were going to like come out and, and Shane Steichen being able to move the ball the way that he has. Like it was just a clear lock. Gardner Minshew took care of the ball. Jonathan yeah. Taylor is back in full force. He looks awesome. Um, I think he had over a hundred yards in this game, right? He, he's continued to look really, really good this season. Um, and Gardner Minshew is like, he's just, he's like quarterback, like 30 in the NFL. Like if you were to rank the quarterbacks, I think he's good enough that he could be a starter if he were just like, who are the Dude. top 32 quarterbacks in the world? Gardner Minshew would be one of those guys. Agreed. But, but if you have a young quarterback, if you have guys you're trying to work in, like it doesn't always work out that way that the true top 32 guys all end up being starters. So he's in that zone where he's like, all right, he's going to be a backup. The Colts are four and five. The Colts are frisky. And their defense has a lot of holes in it. But this offense for Carolina is putrid. It's yeah. so bad. Um, Bryce Young's it's it's too early to call it but this does feel like one of those situations where it was like a player the size and talent and everything that Bryce Young is which I think there is talent there I do think there's chance like he is really fucking good he was incredible at Alabama he has these intangibles that we love out of Bryce Young but it's the worst possible marriage you know like it's Sam like Sam Darnold kind of track yeah, it, it's it's like when you have a friend who starts dating a girl and you're like, this is this guy's amazing. He's a sweetheart. He's a good guy, treats girls with respect, good job, has his shit together, awesome guy. But then he just picks the worst girl possible to date. Mm. And you're like, dude, like, don't. And then they get engaged and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. But then you have to act like you're happy for him. Be like, oh, no, like, I'm happy for Bryce Young and the Panthers. Like, they, they just bought a house together, you know, like, <laughs> They just moved to the suburbs. It's going to be fine. And then it's, it just never ends up being fine. And they're the couple that gets like divorced, like immediate, like two years after getting engaged. Like it kind of feels like that's where we're at right now with Bryce Young and the Panthers. It's Frank Reich was the wrong choice. I love Frank Reich for what he did for the 2017 Eagles. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because of the rotating cast of quarterbacks he had, every, you know, every year in, in, in Indianapolis, it's not working out. That defense is way too talented to be playing as poorly as they are. And I think a lot of that is a result of where this team is as an organization, 
the the culture, where that culture is right now in the locker room. It just feels like bad vibes across the board because there's too much talent on that team, I think, to be playing as poorly as they are. I think a lot of it has to do from the top down. Uh, David Tepper, the, the new owner there for the last couple of years, working the way down front office, head coach. And now Bryce Young's the guy where I'm like, I don't think Bryce Young's bad. Like, I don't think he's going to be this bad his entire career. But to what Scotty said, like, could this be like what, you know, like Josh Rosen? It's It looks like Josh Rosen with the Cardinals. It is that level I don't of bad. think it's that bad. With a rookie quarterback? I think it's bad, but I'm just saying, I think I'm, I'm giving the guy a little more time. It feels almost that Tua, it's different. But, like, agree. remember early on how people were talking about Tua? And, like, yes. it, he just doesn't belong. He's too small. It's not going to work out. And – Hopefully they can figure some shit out. It looks very bad, but I don't think it's as bad as I, I hold Josh Rosen as one of the worst NFL like experiences up there. Yeah. I don't think I'm hoping at least we're not there yet. It him. looks like it. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it looks like it. Like the actual product on the field reminds me of watching those games. I'm not saying it's going to be that way. Cause I think Bryce Young is far more talented than Josh Rosen ever was. And I still believe in him. I think it's more likely he ends up more like Tua, where you get a different coach in there, you get a different scheme, you let him kind of do the things, and you let that team and roster develop around him. But they don't have a first-round pick next year. It's a really doom-and-gloom situation right now because you're not going to get guys in free agency or you're going to have to overpay to get guys in there. You don't have a first-round pick. It's a bad spot to be in as like the arguably probably the worst roster or maybe at least bottom two or three rosters in the NFL. And you don't have a first round pick moving forward. And there's so many holes. It just feels really bad right now. If you're a Panthers fan, like I just, I feel, I just feel bad, especially. And it, what makes it worse is seeing how good CJ Stroud looks. Oh yeah. Which like, I don't think CJ Stroud would have come in onto like uh, Carolina and been great. Yeah. But if you're, but again, if any of our teams were in that situation, 100%, we would look at CJ Stroud and be like, and we could have had CJ Stroud. And we, you know, it's what the Bears fans had to do with Trubisky when it was like Mahomes and Deshaun Watson went out after him. And you're like, we could have had those guys. We drafted Trubisky. And it's like, well, in the moment, like, well, the Trubisky one is more unforgivable than, than Bryce Young, but you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I just, I feel really bad for Panthers fans because it's like, there's not even the light of the end of the tunnel of the NFL draft where you're like, all right, well, at least we have the draft to look forward to. It's like, well, you don't. And DJ Moore is balling out with Tyson Bajan. Like, it just sucks. It just sucks across the board to be a Panthers fan right now. Yeah. I, I The good thing, well, and I don't know. We I don't know if we ever updated it, but we all were on this, like, late afternoon window. We all hit a lot of our picks. So we were all positive this weekend. Um, Scotty, 9-4. and four. I was eight and five. Jeff is seven and six. We, as long as the Scott Chargers and win, two and ones. Chargers so, yeah. need to cover tonight, and then I'll be above You'll be over. Um, Chargers, yeah, you need. We, we both yeah. had Bama. Scotty had Bama, and you had LSU. But yeah, anyway, like the locks thing we're tracking, right? Scotty, we we picked up a game there. Scotty and I, so we're we're through most of the locks here. But it's been a it was crazy, and I think all of us, yeah, we all picked the Colts here, and we just knew like this game was what we thought it was. It sucked. Yeah, <laughs> and the Colts are fun. Yeah. Colts, yeah. Colts are right there, man. I think that they can move the ball and score points with anyone, and that stems from Gardner Minshew being one of the the like you said, Jeff, top thirty two quarterbacks in the NFL. I, he was one of those guys. I need a, you know, you go through these weeks where you need a quarterback because, He's than Jones. because yeah, how did you Daniel need Jones a quarterback in fantasy because because you your guys on buy and like 
Gardner Minshew, I was going back and forth between him and Baker. Like that's where we are in 2023, right? Mm-hmm. Like to to stream those two quarterbacks in fantasy. That'll tell you how good they're playing on the field. And and I think Gardner Minshew's right there with them. They can move the ball. They can score. I love Shane Steichen's offense. They're going to be frisky for the rest of the year. Yeah. Shane Steichen is a really, really good coach. Like ultimately, like what he's taking and think about what, think about the weapons that Indy is working with right now. Right. Like their number two wide receiver is Alec Pierce. Who's like a solid, like he's probably number three on the majority of NFL teams. He's your number two guy. Michael Pittman's legitimately very good. But the tight end position, and there's no one there that scares you. You have a good running back room, and you have a decent offensive line. But they're doing this with a backup quarterback, probably one of the weakest skill position groups in the NFL. You at least have Jonathan Taylor, which is like a true legit stud, and Zach Moss has played really well for them. And yet, how many? How, what's the points per game that the, I got to pull this up real quick? But the, I think the Colts are averaging 28. Like, like 28 points per game right now. Yeah, I, 28 and a half. I think it was. Uh, 25.8, which is seventh in the NFL right now in points per game. With yeah. Anthony Richardson slash Gardner Mitchell as your quarterback throughout the season. That is and, not bad. And, and, and limited skill position guys. That, that also is giving up 28 and a half a game. Yeah, they're so giving like, up 26.9. Yeah, so they're, 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 they're giving up more, which is tied for 28th. And the defense has has holes, no question. Um, But yeah, I mean, the future is bright in Indy. It just sucks, and this and we talked about it at the time, but this is just like I would just love to watch Anthony Richardson be playing football right now, and that season. dude, he just needs the reps. And now it feels like by the time he gets back next year, we're gonna be like, all right, we gotta reset everything from the beginning now, and and it's, I don't know, the future is bright. If they're frisky with Gardner Minshew, hopefully they'll be frisky with second year Anthony Richardson next year when he's fully healthy. Um, and making the decision for him to repair that shoulder, like they're going to end up with a better draft pick, I think, if than if he didn't play. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Colts. Lock that was that was my lock of the season, and it was the most degen lock I think I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> all right, Raiders, Giants. Man, the Giants stink. Giants suck. Yeah. Holy shit! Not a great I football team. Real bad. Um, so uh, Daniel Jones. Vito. Well, so we yeah. should say this: Daniel Jones out for the season, tore yep. ACL. Uh, I mean, I'll say this: Paisano, the veto, huh? The, yeah. the only, th- the only thing that should make you feel better about being a Panthers fan is not being a New York Giants fan. Um, there's no it's elite true. talent, and we talked about this. I think like in the one month mark of the season, four week four, week five, there's no one explosive on this team. Like Saquon is a stud, obviously, but like. The defense, you're not seeing explosion. Kayvon Thibodeau was like a top 10 draft pick because he's a, he was supposed to be this rocket off the ball. And he's had moments where he's looked pretty good, you know, throughout his career. But ultimately, like this team has so has such a lack of burst and explosiveness. Even Lawrence doesn't look like he used to. Like no. Isaiah Simmons they brought in, right? We thought that was going to be huge. It hasn't been as much as, I don't know, he even impacted Arizona. He's, uh, it's weird. I would even argue the the Super Bowl teams that they had were never explosive. They were just like right place, right time guys. No, but that was also Maybe. a different version of the NFL, like 07 and 2011. Like Fair. what they were, were they were dominant on the line of scrimmage on both sides. They had yeah, O.C. Right. Omer, yeah, they had Justin point. Tucker, they had Michael Which, Strahan, tip, right? Tip, tip Paul with this whole five fingers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Fred Robbins? Wasn't he like a, a D tackle for them for a while too? I know way too many Giants players just because watching them well, over the years yeah. by the Eagles. <laughs> um, but this team is bad. Like they're they're just bad across the board. 
Tommy, I mean, Tyrod's out. So I don't know if they look to go sign Colt McCoy has been in this system before. Maybe they'd bring him out. Um, I don't think you can move forward with Tommy DeVito as your quarterback for the rest of the season. It's not great. Um, what's really interesting though, is the day ball thing. Like this is a guy yeah. that we were like, he's going to be like a nightmare to deal with in the NFC East for, for years to come. He was coach of the year last year, right? Like all this stuff, like we, we said it on repeat. Everyone thought Brian Dable and like his lack of composure on the sidelines is shocking. Like it's like, he's so frustrated. He's, he's one of those true hearted football guys that gets so disgusted with bad football play that he can't help himself with being just so angry on the sidelines, you know, like he he sees how poorly his team is playing and he like loses control and like literally cannot keep himself in check, which is not a great sign as a head coach. It's just like, it's different than like McDaniels that we're seeing guy, even McVay's pretty calm, pretty consistent. But like, like the younger coaches coming up to your point, Shanahan, Shanahan yells a little bit. He's more old school, honestly. I kind of like it. But, he, but like, yeah, look at like, Sirianni, right? Like Sirianni is a perfect example of someone who loses his shit on the sideline all the time. Yeah. But it's never at his team. It's at right. he's it's like he loses a shit for a positive reason because the Eagles did something great and he's excited, or he loses his shit at the refs or an opposing team for doing something dirty. He never loses his shit at his players. And in big time moments before the play happens, like Sirianni is like reactionary, but he's never angry beforehand. He's very calm and steady That's true. when the play is happening. It's after the play when something good happens or someone else like the refs or the other team does something. That's true. Does something shitty. Yeah. Like, there was that one. There was a, it was a false start. I think that, the, that the giants had on a big play, like it was a big play in the game and, uh, and they got the five yard penalty and, you see him on the on the broadcast as the players are walking back to the sideline and going, "What the fuck was that?" Like yeah. to his players, to his offensive line, yeah. being like, "Dude, like," the, the, and the yeah, broadcast sucks, got a, but the broadcast got like a perfect clip of him saying it too, where you could read his lips, like anyone could read his lips perfectly yeah. clear and know what he was saying. Um, yeah, it's it's bad. It's a bad time to be a Giants fan. On the other side of the game, look, the Raiders like we had new coach emotional right? the new, win the new the new coach effect. Uh, Antonio Pierce, awesome first game. He he looks the part, like he talks the talk. He does everything right. Um, I'm an Antonio Pierce fan. I really am. I think I think he's going to do a really good job there. And I think before the game even started, Mark Davis and then and the Raiders came out and said that they're already going to consider him for the full time job moving forward. They're four and five, right? It's crazy to kind of say the Raiders control their own destiny. There's a world where the Raiders end up a playoff team in the NFL this season. Now, they do have to play the Chiefs twice still, which is going to be tough. Um, but if you look at the remaining schedule, right, they have the Jets. The Dolphins are going to be tough. They have the Chiefs, but they get Minnesota. They have a game against Indy. They have a game against Denver. They can get to eight or nine wins, especially if they pull off a game like an upset against Miami or, or if they steal one of the games from Kansas City. Um, they steal a game from the Chargers, which they can definitely do. Um, cause remember they only lost that game by seven points to the chargers earlier this season. There's a world where this is like rich, rich Pisaccia, like 2.0, you know, where remember Pisaccia took over after all the craziness with Gruden. And then they went on to make the playoffs that year. They lost in the first round, but they still found their the way team the, that went to the super bowl. <laughs> yeah. They lost to the, the, and that the, was a close Bengals. game too. Yeah, yeah. It was a crazy close game with a bunch of crazy calls in it too, that happened to break the Bengals wet. So there is a world where 
you know, Antonio Pierce can get them back. What I'm fascinated to see is what does this team look like the next three weeks? Yeah. Right. Because they have the Jets next week. They can win that game. They have a game against Kansas City. It's going to be tough, but if they don't get blown out, if it's a close game, they're right there. And then uh, I just had it up in front of me, and I'm forgetting who the third team that they're, that they're playing for uh, or playing against was. Um, and then uh, Miami in between. So if they can steal, if they can go two and one in the next three weeks, I think already I'm like, all right, put the ink on the paper. Like, give me Antonio Pierce. Because it just – and did you guys see the whole story, by the way? This is worth talking about because it's insane. Did you hear the Josh McDaniel story? Yeah. Vito? Yeah. Hold, Scotty. Do you think this is true? Like, this is crazy. Jay Glazer's never – like, he's not wrong. Like, when Jay Glazer puts stories like this out, he's not wrong. So, I, I tend to believe it. Um, but for Scotty and for the other people listening who don't know this story, essentially, going into Josh McDaniel's last game, he was trying to give, like, a pump-up speech to the team, and he asked Antonio Pierce to come up and talk to the team – on his behalf, which is commonplace. Like head coaches bring coordinators up to talk to the team all the time. It happens a lot. They get players to go up there. And Antonio Pierce came up and talked about the 2007 Giants team and like what they had to do. And like, they were resilient and tough and strong and how they took down the, you know, the, the Pats. I don't know if that was the undefeated Pats or not. I always forget, was, but yeah. Um, but how they took down the Pats and they went on to win the Super Bowl. And Josh McDaniels scolded Antonio Pierce in front of the team and told him you, never talk about the Patriots like that in front of me. And apparently the team lost their shit. And like everyone was like, no way, dude, no fucking way. You, you're literally defending the fucking Patriots from 10 years ago, 15 years ago over our team right now that you're in charge of us. No way. We're not playing Ugh. for this dude. And, and then the, the next- worst part is he's going to get there, go there for free as an intern. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. By, by season's end, he's going to be working for the Patriots. Again, probably. Um, <laughs> Which is not going to help them. I mean, they're, they're still going to be fucked. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the players obviously loved Antonio Pierce. And, look, this wasn't just like the Jeff Saturday win, which came down to the wire and was against a bad team. No. This is like, obviously, they played a bad team, but they broke the doors off of the Giants. They looked they played, smooth. They, oh on both God. sides. They played so much better. And to your point, he's also was a coach from in the – like, he was already coaching there. The players already knew him. So, do you, like, this isn't an analyst we're bringing out of TV. I think this is a way more impactful move, and that's why it's way more realistic to say they're already looking at him for the end of the, like for what you know for the future of the Raiders and Las Vegas and this whole ownership group like Mark Davis and Tom Brady buys in and all these other people are talking about like this is the kind of guy they want at head coach yeah. right so um, uh, it's pretty exciting for him uh, pretty awesome that he in his first game he gets to beat the shit out of his old team I think that's pretty exciting that's got to be awesome. Honestly, oh my God, it has yeah. to be. Uh, especially like a team you went to. He was a Raiders fan growing up. He said it a lot this week. Hey, it's got to be cool to like, yeah, well, it's got to be cool to like, you know, take your your team that you're a favorite of and go beat the team that you were on when you won a Super Bowl. That's just, yeah. what a wild, incredible. A wild and and look, if, if Mark Davis is as like, you know, simple as he comes across sometimes, he'll be like, I could have done this with Rich Passaccia two years ago and I didn't. I'm not making that mistake two times in a row. That's yeah. the, that to me is how like I look at Mark Davis and I'm like, that's how he does math. So that's how he's going to end up doing this. Um, I think Antonio Pierce becomes the head coach and smart I, move. I, I think it'd be the, a really good call. The whole toughness, like you want to, the, the thing that stood out to me about the toughness in this game was 
what he got out of that offensive line in the running game, which was dead, like dead through the first eight games of the season. They had all the leading rusher out, in the NFL last year. Josh Jacobs all led of a sudden the NFL they, in rushing. Exactly. All of a sudden they come out here in week nine, and they're like fucking Mennonites. Fucking they run. Uh, 26 for 98 and two touchdowns on the ground. Uh, I actually for, had for Josh written, Jacobs alone. They had 125 yards yeah. on the ground too. I actually had written down in my notes last week for, before the pod, and people are going to tell me it's a revisionist history, like whatever. This is the truth, and I have no interest in lying here. Um, I wrote down in my notes and forgot to say it. Prop bet Josh Jacobs to score a touchdown in that game because there was like that just like screamed to me that he was going to score a touchdown, and he scores too. So uh, that was on me. Should have should have said that. I let the listeners down there. All right, let's get to the last two games. The two games are worth talking about here. NFC East battle, the Philadelphia Eagles 28, the Dallas Cowboys 23. The Philadelphia Eagles now have the best record, sole possession of the best record in the NFL. I guess they did last week too, but first team to reach eight wins. This is the fifth time in Eagles history that they are eight and one. The first four times that they were eight and one in the regular season through nine games, they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, 1980, they went to the Super Bowl. 2004 or 2003, 2004, they went to the Super Bowl. 2017, they went to the Super Bowl. And then last year, they went to the Super Bowl. All those seasons, they started off eight and one. Wow. Um, so this, and those are the only times that they've ever started off a season that well. It was a nerve wracking win. It's a win nonetheless. I'm very curious to hear what you guys have to say about the game first. And then I'll kind of dive in because. Cowboys Eagles look it's it's a heated rivalry it was a weird game I have my thoughts on it but I want to hear what you guys say first and then I'll I'll kind of give my thoughts on it afterwards well don't don't tempt me with a good time so first of all this game was pretty ridiculous um as a whole this I it felt like the Sunday night game uh and when I say that is like we had daylight savings it was dark in general, this was the best game. This should have been the night game. Uh, it was incredible to see these guys go back and forth. Dak looked great. Jalen looked very good. Um, the Eagles running game couldn't get going as well as they could before. A.J. Brown is still ridiculous. CeeDee Lamb went off. Like This was two of the best probably NFC offenses on display and some of the best defensive players as well. Eagles had this in hand pretty much and let the Cowboys get back in it. And um, that was, you know, a little discouraging to see. They get six, you know, in the fourth, and then they they don't get the two-pointer. Then they end up, um, you know, having a drive, obviously, with a lot of penalties. So it's a, it's a weird game because you beat the division rival, but you know if that game went another 10 minutes, you might not have. And that's a really weird uh, feeling to have. Now they came out. Um, played well in that third quarter is like they dominated it was 14 to zero. That was, that was the game right there was the third quarter and what the Eagles did there. Um, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. Uh, Dak, I think that was Dak's probably best game of the year so far, maybe, especially against the competition. So like huge, huge credit to him. Um, I've been down on him a little bit for sure, but and CD went off, uh, but you know, the Eagles definitely have some holes on defense, but again, they're still finding a way. They're eight and one. I it's just crazy. It feels like they could have lost three or four of the last five or six games. And they just keep pulling out wins at the end and having really good second halves. And if you're a second half team, that's what the Broncos were in 2015 when we went to the Super Bowl. That's what the Eagles were in 2017, it felt like, right? Yeah. Um, 
So that, that happens and that's a good sign actually for a lot of teams to go deep. So good for them, but it was a weird game because it could have been a blowout and it was a fucking nail biter. <laughs> and it should have been a blowout. Um, but I think the Eagles set the tone on offense with that first drive that they had the, that ended up with the Kenneth Gainwell touchdown. The offensive line got in the trenches and absolutely started mauling that that defensive line for the Cowboys. And I think, again, that set the tone. Uh, it, was a, it was a huge day passing for Jalen Hurts because of that. Uh, and, and they opened up a lot more of the, the option game, which which I thought would, would happen, um, and took away Micah. At, at the end of the day, it, it's... It's about grinding out wins like this. It's it's a bounce that goes your way. It's a a touchdown that doesn't or that comes off the board because Jake Ferguson was half a yard short on a really great defensive play um, in the end zone. It's it's uh, James Bradbury who got absolutely cooked all game long and then making the the one big play at the end uh, or toward the end ended up being the second to last drive uh, that that nearly sealed the game for the Eagles. It's the the defense uh, coming up clutch late in the game and, and closing games out. That is one of the hardest things to do in the NFL, especially in these rivalry games like this, to close these games out the way the defense does, where Hassan Reddick just turns into another gear. Brandon Graham, we saw, flipped on another gear, getting to the quarterback. Josh Sweat, uh, Jalen Carter, who who off the defensive line. And that's all fueled by, we saw this, those two championship run years with with Fletcher Cox. Right, that same kind of motor um, when when it comes down to legume cutting time, and I, I think you know as as close as this game was at home against a division rival, I, I wouldn't be upset about this as an Eagles fan. It's another example to me of your your quarterbacks able to grind out games on the offense, especially being banged up. Your defense is able to close out games uh, on that side of the ball. I I, I think they're in good shape. Uh, it, it really, like, all the weaknesses you can point out for for fifty eight and a half minutes, like, go away when you, your defense is put in a position where all they have to do is is drop eight in uh, into coverage and and hope that nobody can can cross the uh, goal line for the for the Cowboys on the last play of the game. And that's that's a good position to be in, um, yeah. developmentally and uh, and and mentally as well. Um, as as the team goes so you know i think i think this is one of those where you take is like i mean i've seen plenty of these games between the seahawks and niners and the rams and the niners and division rivalries where um they they come down to to one or two plays when for most of the game it looked like we we were in control um so i it, it comes down to to and that i think is is part of the championship pedigree where can you close a game out on defense? Can you make the play on offense that that can get you the first down to to extend the game and not give the ball back to the other team? That's that's the big stuff uh, when we come down to to January and and February when that people are talking about. It's not it's not uh, oh wow they they should have blown this team out and and they didn't uh, that we're talking about here in week nine. No, it's it's the little stuff that uh, that I would be encouraged by. And I'm, I'm really glad that that's kind of where this left off before I kind of put my two cents into it. Um, because I think that's kind of where we're at with this Philly team right now, right? If if you look at the stats, right, Jalen is 25-2 and two in his last 27 regular season games. 
There are there is literally four quarterbacks who ever have a run like that in the history of the NFL. It was uh, Jalen's now the fifth, but it was Brady, Peyton, Jim McMahon, Jim Kelly, and now Jalen Hurts. Um, he's playing. I thought the last two games from Jalen on one leg is some of the most impressive quarterback play I've ever seen in a Philadelphia Eagles uniform. Like it's truly absurd. He is the eighth quarterback in NFL history with three consecutive games of 73% accuracy, 200 yards passing and two or more touchdown passes. And like it was Brady breeze did it twice. Peyton did it five times. Carson Palmer, Rogers, Matt Ryan, Kurt Warner. Like he's putting together passing, pocket passing stuff that is off the charts. But Scotty, to me, it's exactly what you were just saying there that I'm so interested about this Eagles team. Because when you talk about the narrative of what the Philadelphia Eagles were last year, they were blowing everybody out, right? Every single week we're talking about they find a different way to win every single week. But all those wins were like blowouts, right? It was they threw for 400 yards against the Titans or against Pittsburgh. And then they ran for 250 yards, you know, or 300 plus yards or whatever it was against the Packers. And it was every week, it was a different thing. And then once we got to the postseason, they beat the doors off the giants in the playoffs and then Purdy gets knocked out. And then what did, what was the number one thing about the Eagles? We talked about during the two weeks from the end of the NFC and AFC championship games to the Super Bowl. It was like, well, they, they haven't played anybody. They had the easiest schedule in all of football, right? They, you know, they, they haven't been tested, right? And that's all we're saying, right? This year, look what's happening, right? They're getting injured. They had no injuries last year, right? They didn't have the adversity last year. This year, they're banged up. They're banged up every single week. They're getting injuries left and right, and they're they're finding ways to win games. This year, they're winning games differently every single week like they did last year, but they're nail biters. They're closer games. They're not blowouts, Jalen Hurts is doing this stuff on one leg. He's throwing the ball. It's not just because he's running on people. It's because he's doing it from the pocket. It's a lot of the same narratives of last year, but the context around it's completely different where they had the easiest schedule last year. They have the hardest schedule in the NFL this year, and they're going on this really long stretch. And what's interesting is seeing how we as fans can flip the narrative on either side of it, which is that when you're undefeated and you're blowing people out or you lost two games or whatever, and you're beating the shit out of teams left and right, you say, Oh, well, they haven't played anybody. Oh, well, they haven't been tested. Right. And now they're eight and one. They're winning these close games. They're doing the thing that everyone said they couldn't do last year. And now everyone's saying that, well, they're, they're good. They're eight and one, but are they really in that top level? And I myself also have those doubts, like as a fan, the, like the worst eight and one team in the league. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're seeing more and more people say stuff like that in the national media and, and, and saying, Oh, but you know, they've had these close games and they lost to the jets and it's been, ba- they've barely hold on. I'm like, well, which side do you want? Do you want a team that's tested? Do you want a team that's dropped a game or two, a team that's winning close games and learning how to win close games? Because that's what you said they couldn't do last year. And now that's all they're doing this year. And a, Albeit, I would have loved a blowout. I would have loved to have seen them blow the doors off the Cowboys. That was never going to happen against the Cowboys. It happens like once every like four or five years. There's a game where the Eagles decimate the Cowboys. What's interesting is like Dak owns the, the Eagles. He just has. He was eight and three going into this game career against the Eagles. He always plays really, really well. He was lighting the Eagles up last night. 375 yards, three touchdowns. C.D. Lamb had almost 200 on his own. Anytime Ferguson or C.D. was open, like every single play they drop back, it felt like it was. And then in the biggest moments of the game, 
every single week when we've had these close games, it's been a different player. And I literally said to the friends I was watching the game with last night, I was like, you know, we haven't heard from Brandon Graham all year. And he makes the three biggest plays in this game, a sack and a half. And he's the one that chased Dak down on the sideline to make him step out on the two point conversion that ultimately gave the Eagles the win that forced them to have to score a touchdown to take that game over. It's sloppy. There are total holes in this team. But the one thing I feel, at least as an Eagles fan, is like it's not perfect, but they're eight and one and they haven't hit their groove yet. They still have a first year offensive coordinator and a first year defensive coordinator. Like they're doing this and and winning close games in a way that we never thought, like that everyone criticized them last year saying that they couldn't do. And now they're doing it this year and it still doesn't feel like they get the respect. And I get it. That's the nature of media and sports. And that's why we love it because it's fun to debate and have these conversations. But ultimately, I walk away, and this was the stat last night that I think really cements at least the Jalen versus Dak part of it. Passer rating when trailing this season. Jalen Hurts is first in the NFL, 121.4. Dak Prescott is dead last in the NFL at 65.1. What a stat. And, And people can complain. The officiating was bad on both sides. There was way too many flags in that game. Too much. It felt longer, like, yeah. felt yeah, like they were nice. trying to keep like keep tempers down and whatnot. The Eagles dominated that third quarter. They should have put it away. But in the one time that they weren't able to go and like go on that five minute drive in the fourth quarter to ice the game out, they had the back to back three and outs after the defense got the stop. The defense came up big one last time. They did what they had to do. The link was loud. They got the delay of game penalty, which is completely inexcusable. And they found a way to get it done. And at some point, and like, I know it's not pretty, but, you know, credit where credit's due. Doesn't doesn't have to be. And and as one of those, you got a tough stretch coming up, but as one of those teams on the opposite side that's going to be playing you in the middle of that stretch, I, I, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. Like, this game in the beginning of December terrifies me all the more that the Eagles grind out these games and are eight and one when they're not at their best. They and PFF right now are greater than a 99.9% chance to make the playoffs. They're 91% to win the division title, 43% to win the conference championship and 24% to win the Super Bowl. They're the number one rated team in terms of power rankings by PFF. And to Jeff's point, they can play better. Yeah. And that's like that's the thing, which is like if it now, doesn't feel great with all these ugly, weird wins, but along that point, talking about like percentages to win the division, all that stuff. If the Eagles in their next five games, right? They have Chiefs, they have Bills, they have San Francisco, they have Dallas, and then they have Seattle, right? They have the bye week this week, and then those are the next five games. After that, they go New York, Arizona, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they win those last three games and go three and two during the next five, the Dallas Cowboys, even if they go undefeated the rest of the season, would not win the division. So you know what's in front of you. Three and three and two against Kansas City, Buffalo, San Fran, Dallas, and um and Seattle. How many of those are at home? <laughs> uh I think they play Seattle, San Francisco, and Buffalo at home. Yeah. And then I think all the other ones are are away. They have to go to Kansas City, which is going to be tough. And they have to go to Dallas. But this is kind of where we're at with this team, which is like the talent's there, but they're doing this with injuries. Dallas Goddard is 
going to be out for minimum of four weeks. It looks like uh, he had a forearm fracture last night. That's a huge loss, but they went out and got uh, Albert O who was uh, a former Denver Bronco. Who's had some yep. moments. Jack Stoll filled in last year. I mean, last year they lost Goddard for six weeks. They still yep. were able to make get by. Yeah, I think um, Jack will end up like I think between Jack and Grant. Grant was out this past week, so I think those guys. And they're going to get Grant back too. So I think I I don't know, but at least depth chart wise, I I hope to see Jack and Grant obviously above Alberto, my old guy. And I think depending on what they're going to use him for, that might happen. I think uh, I don't know. It's going to be an exciting time for the Eagles here and uh, the next stretch there. To your point, I think this has them as the ninth remaining hardest schedule left. Because they do have the three easier games to the end. Yeah. Number one is a team we're going to get into here in a second. And I can't wait to tell you guys about this. Because it's actually a crazy statistical flip that just happened with one of these teams for the night game. Yeah. Um, and before before we move on fully from this game, I do – I at least want to touch on the Cowboys a little bit here. Because what they're doing now, like what this Cowboys team is doing now with the emphasis on getting CeeDee Lamb the ball. The, Imagine it, that. <laughs> it is like – Basically, they're like, we are running our entire offense through CeeDee Lamb. And all game, and I leaned over to my buddy Jason at one point, we're watching the game, and I'm like, it feels like we're due for the Dak Prescott mistake. Like, when's the mistake coming? And, like, you can say the stepping out of bounds thing, that's a tough play, right? Uh, And he's going for the corner. Like, I was waiting for the Dak Prescott, like, collapse play. And you could say the delay game, whatever, blame McCarthy. But at its core, like, this is what this Cowboys team does, right? Like, it's those little micro nuance stuff you know the jake ferguson play right reed blankenship makes an unbelievable play to keep him out of the end zone there um but the eagles also dodged a couple bullets right deandre swift fumbles twice that the eagles got the ball back on the cowboys had every opportunity to win this game because on paper they are just as talented as this team but dak has that look in his eye in big moments at the end of the games where you're just like, he just doesn't have it. It's not there. And then you have Mike McCarthy's fat face looking at you. I said last night, Mike McCarthy's face looks like the pumpkin that gets like sat out like the jack-o'-lantern. You leave out for like the week after Halloween that just starts to droop down. Like that's that's Mike McCarthy's face to me. Um, Eagles find a way to win. They beat the Cowboys, right? That's ultimately all that matters. They get the bye week when they need it. I'm excited. And also for the record, for the Calcateras, I know they listen. And Nick, I know you listen. I didn't mention Grant only because he's injured. I cannot mm-hmm. wait to see Grant Calcaterra get some get some targets here in the next few weeks. Meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. He sick. was great last year when they needed it. I can't wait to see him out there. He's ahead of Albert O, but I said Albert O first only because we know that Grant's injured. That's the only reason. All right. Um, last game, Bengals-Bills. The Bengals look really fucking good. Yep. And they look all the way back. The defense is fucking balling out. Dak, uh, talking about like some of the advanced PFF numbers and stuff, Josh Allen is the number one quarterback in the NFL right now, statistically, number one in EPA per play. Like he is, you never know his, it. He's playing his <laughs> best football. Um, I got to see if I can pull up the, the, the Ben Solak tweet about it because it's, it's so dead on. Um, and it, it cracks me up because it's it's the perfect like encapsulation of what football can be, you know, where you can have a guy who's just incredible. They've gotten destroyed with injuries. Davis White and Matt Milano has has genuinely Milano hurt them. One. Yeah, it's been brutal. <laughs> um, the secondary, obviously, a, a massive, massive uh, impact for that team. But 
Josh Allen is out here doing literally everything he can to keep this, this team afloat. And it just doesn't seem like it's enough. No, I, yeah. I honestly think that this, so this bills team, not only that, I want to hit on this. They're the team that has the hardest schedule remaining in the NFL. And the, the bills of this. Yes. And because of this loss, they're now 48% chance to make the playoffs. Isn't that wild? At five wow. and four, they're the same percent chance, by P- according to PFF, as the Pittsburgh Steelers to make the playoffs. Wow. It's insane. They are in danger. They have a tough stretch coming up. And to your point, Josh Allen can play out of his mind, and they're still losing. So yeah. what's going on here? They had the 21st ranked schedule, strength of schedule to date. It hasn't happened yet. They're going to have to go into overdrive. Man, I don't think this defense can keep up. I'll tell you what, Joe Burrow looked like Joe Burrow and made those put those bills in their place. Um, he's saying, Hey, I'm the second best quarterback, and I'm coming in, and this is gonna be us this year, not you guys. I, I love Joe it. Burrow. Um I, the Bills have the best offensive EPA per drive in all of the NFL, and they have the second largest point differential in the NFL, and they're five and four. That's insane. Make it make sense. They they seriously could miss the playoffs. Yeah. And and it's so much of it is like, it's now look, this is a tough game and they played. It's not like they played bad last night to hold this version of Cincinnati to 24 points is legitimately impressive. It's hard to do, especially with couldn't. (laughs) Yeah. And especially with now that like Joe Burrow looks like Joe Burrow Mixon's starting to heat up. Like it feels like Mixon's got fresh legs. It feels like, for whatever reason, the Bengals just need to get through the first like three to four weeks of the season. And then it's like, boom, lights on. Their defense is legit. Their offense, I think, is legit. If I'm talking about AFC teams that I think, like, if you were going to tell me, put a bet right now on an AFC team to make the Super Bowl, I would pick the Cincinnati Bengals. Even that, notwithstanding, like the, 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 the bye week for Cincinnati could not have come at a better time. They need not it. have. The, yeah. The, the the way that Joe Burrow looks in the pocket, for especially the last two games coming off the bye compared to the first five or six, it, it's night and day. And, and not only the the uh, the narrative that they start off slow and, and hit a groove and are a different team, they look more like that team at the end of the year that made the run to the Super Bowl than they have in the past three. Yeah. Uh, it, it's that buy could not have come at a better time for them. Imagine if their buy was in like week 11. Yeah. Right. We're sitting here talking about, Oh, the Bengals are, are five and five. Cause they got a banged up Joe Burrow. They got a banged up offensive line. That defense has some injuries. Uh, like they're in trouble. Like the narrative we're talking about with, with Buffalo where we're like, Oh boy, <laughs> they might not even make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so that buy could not have come at a better time for them, and they look like they're in an absolute groove, man, like and, you said. And right now, the way since he's playing, like you look at the remaining schedule, they get Houston next week, but there's – so that you would expect that to be a win, despite as much as we've, we've loved this Cincinnati team or this Houston team. There's a few games on the schedule they have to win, right? And they do have four more games that are AFC North games that will be really important. They play Houston. Then they have Baltimore and Pittsburgh back-to-back. Then they have to go to Jacksonville, 
which I expect Jacksonville to dip a little bit from their kind of win streak. But now that they've gotten a week to kind of reset, we'll see what they look like next week. They're a team that, like, because they're on a bye, we've all kind of forgotten about a little bit. They play the Niners they, next week. <laughs> they get Indy, Minnesota, which would be both winnable games, right? So that puts them at eight wins if you figure Houston, Indy, Minnesota are wins. They also get a game. And then they finish out the season Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Cleveland. That's a hard stretch. But I still feel like they're going to win probably six of those games, like five to six, which puts them right at that 10 or 11 win mark. They're probably going to be a wild card team, and they're probably going to end up playing Baltimore or Kansas City in the first round. Whoever doesn't get that one seed, they're going to be right around there. They're going to be primed for another playoff run. They're healthy. The defense looks really good. They haven't even gotten T. Higgins really involved yet in this in in this offense this season. Oh, I saw a lot. I know he's been injured. Game. He well, they finally got him back in, but like going yeah. into the game, he had 250 yards on the entire season. I know he was injured for a few, but you expect that to get better. Two tight ends scoring from the now Earth Smith Jr. and Drew Sample both find the end zone. Joe Mixon getting the ball. The offense feels like it's clicking and. To me, they're in a similar situation to Kansas City where we're like, they have a top five defense. I think we all think Cincinnati's in that top five to top ten defense right now in in that kind of a zone. And they have the best defensive coordinator going, I think, at least in the NFL with Cousin Lou. Then it's going to be like, all right, Kansas City, we're worried about, well, will the offense get it together because they don't have the pass catchers? You look at Cincinnati and you go like, you got every weapon you can imagine. You have a healthy offensive line and you have Joe Burrow playing great football and looking totally healthy. I just don't ever want to bet against that guy ever because he's just he's a fucking gamer every single time he goes out. It's a tough remaining schedule. They get Houston and that game in Baltimore in a couple of weeks is going to be a fucking awesome game. I cannot wait to watch that game. Uh, but there's there's a lot to look forward to. I don't think Buffalo is out of it. I think they're they're offensively. They've been playing too good for them to be out of it. But again, this is what we talked about earlier in the season with the Sean McDermott taking over the defense thing, right? It's hard to be the head coach and the defensive coordinator. It's hard to call plays deep on defense and also be the head coach of your team. It feels like they've might have bitten off a little bit more than they can chew. I understand why they moved on from Leslie Frazier last year. But they are in like a dangerous territory right now. And to your point, Vito, they have a really hard remaining schedule the rest of the way. This was a big opportunity for Buffalo to come out and win this game. They did not show up for it the way that they needed to. Cincinnati, opportunistic defense, forces turnovers, and the offense, they can beat you in a lot of different ways. And Joe Burrow is just not someone I'm interested in betting against. He's just not. Um, and we'll see. I feel like we're primed up right now for such an awesome second half because this is the halfway point. We are now into the second half of the NFL season. I feel like we're primed up for a fucking awesome finish. And I feel like we're going to get to the last like three weeks and it's going to be like every single game has postseason implications. And we're going to end up with like crazy finishes and, and really, really fascinating, you know, ranking uh, uh, standings changes. But what's wild Cincinnati's five and three, they are tied for the worst for last place in the AFC North. Because Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincinnati are all sitting there at five and three. <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. And I've got, uh, you know, in the back half of our schedule, the 49ers on by this week. I've got five games circled on the on the back half here of, of the nine left um, that are going to be big games. Big games. Two against Seattle, one against you, Jeff, um, and then uh, and the Ravens as well. 
And that's the thing. It's like this upcoming week, we have no Kansas City, we have no Miami, we have no Philadelphia. They're all on bye weeks. I'm not looking forward to being on the receiving end for the first time of Kansas City off of a bye and Andy Reid off of a bye in particular. Um, though I think Sirianni's undefeated off of bye weeks too. So, you know, smaller sample size, albeit. Um, but, no, it's it, we're going to have some crazy games. This week we didn't have Jacksonville. We didn't have San Francisco. There were some bad – some really good teams that were out this week that we're going to get back next week. Uh, and Jacksonville has a pretty big game next week, too. I'm trying to remember who they play. Um, Us. It's 49ers in Jacksonville. Week? Is yeah. that this week? Oh, shit. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a tough game. Uh, and they have a tough remaining – Jacksonville's got San Fran, Tennessee, which won't be easy, obviously, divisional game. Houston won't be easy, divisional game. Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore. Then they get a little, little bit easier to close it out with Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Tennessee. But it's going to be an awesome finish. And I love the parody because it does feel like anything can happen. And that's the best time. That's the best time in the NFL when you're like, there's not really one clear-cut number one team, but there's a lot of really good teams. Like, if the commanders snuck their way to the seven seed and the Eagles somehow ended up being the two seed, and they go they go head to head in the first round. I'd be scared shitless, man. I'd be scared shitless seeing Sam Howell come to the to, to the link hey, hey, to try to pull that off. But team that was on by this week that, that probably nobody wants to play at that time of the year is Detroit. That's yeah, I forgot Detroit too. Yeah. Detroit <laughs> didn't play this week. So uh it'll be fun to check back in with Detroit and Jacksonville, San Fran. Big game. San Fran, Jacksonville, probably the game of the week, one o'clock game, but uh we got a lot of fun to go. Vito just had to run, so we'll wrap up the pod with that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, hope everyone has a wonderful week. Uh, enjoy Monday Night Football. You'll know, again, Chargers minus three and a half. I think you guys both took the Jets, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh should be a fun game tonight. We love you guys. Thank you for listening and supporting, as always. We will be back later on the week. We will give you guys picks for week 10 in the NFL as we hit the double-digit week mark in the NFL. And we got plenty of more action ahead. So for the boys, I'm Jeff. We love you. We thank you. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Take it easy, everybody.